Hey, welcome to the 319th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McVale and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Currently discussing John Byrne's X-Men The Hidden Years. That's from like the year 2000. Takes place in between the original X-Men run when Marvel was doing reprints before Giant Size X-Men came with the new team of like Wolverine and Storm and Colossus and all them. Uh, And other times I talk about random comic book topics, sometimes older movies that are not currently in theaters, etc., etc. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That's ko-fi.com slash gmanfromheck. Okay, this this week, oh my God. So I still have um, still had parent conferences at school, which is like, you know, taking up time after school during, you know, whatever prep periods, loss and, and stuff like that. Lame excuse, I know, you know, you, it's, it shouldn't affect this, but it is. And I, I feel like there's a lot to watch. So, you know, I tried watching everything and I'm going to be straight up right now. You, if you read the description, you know, I, didn't, I still haven't gotten to Gen V and I'm, I, I cannot express, I cannot even describe how like stressed out I, I've been about this because I, as of now, when you're listening to this, depending on when you're listening to this, there's four episodes out because they dropped three episodes the first week and then one last Friday. So my plan was, okay, I can try to try to watch two episodes this week and maybe two next week. And then, you know, to try to eventually get caught up. Nope. So I haven't watched any of them. And so now it's getting to the point. It's like, well, do I just skip it? Which I really don't want to since I've been covering the boys. I guess it really gets to the point where is there any value of it? Because, I mean, diehard Gen V fans, you're probably totally caught up. So me doing a recap might not make any sense. So unless I just do like, I don't do a recap and just do like super brief thoughts and, you know, did I notice anything or whatever? So that's something I'm going to have to figure out because uh, this this past weekend again, you know, when, when I'm like a week behind on shows, and I know this is like too much detail here, but when I'm, I'm behind, you know, over the weekend, I try to get caught up for the next week. You know, it's like I would have uh, the third episode, The Continental, since that came out Friday and I'm covering episode two this week. And then um, I guess that's really it for, for yeah new shows because everything else now is current. Anyways, what is on this show? Let's just get to that. Movie features The Exorcist Believer. I, I almost uh, last minute, I'm like, well, maybe I should get a refund on my movie ticket because the movie reviews were not great. And, you know, I don't read reviews, but when I saw that Rotten Tomato score, I'm like, oh, boy. And, you know, there's some other things. Uh, Tom DeLonge's Monsters of California, California came out on Friday in limited theaters and on video on demand. I, I'm, of course, absolutely, I need to watch that. There is also... Uh, Totally Killer with Kieran and Shipka and Olivia Holt. And uh, that's it's basically like Back to the Future with a horror movie where Kieran and Shipka goes back in time to 1987 where her mom, there's a killer and like her friends were getting killed or something like that. I, I, I love Kieran and Shipka and Olivia Holt and I really want to see that. 
But I, went, I, I was like, well, no, I'm, I'm going to stick with The Exorcist and uh, you know, see how it goes. Because part of it is, I want to be totally transparent. And I, I don't just want to talk about movies. It's like, oh, yeah, this was great. This was awesome. You should see it. So maybe, you know, once in a while, and even though I don't want to just rip and say, oh, this sucked, this is a piece of garbage or whatever, because, you know, I would, I would never describe it like that. And I'm not saying that that's the case here, but I think sometimes it might be good to see, because, you know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of expectations for The Exorcist because it is such a beloved, I wouldn't say franchise, but the original movie, you know, a lot of people you know feel that that's a classic and, and, and so forth. So there's a lot of eyes that would be like, okay, what's going to... And supposedly, was it Universal? Like, I forget if it was Universal or not. But they put like $400 million into like making and promoting this. And you know they're, they're, they want to make this a, a, a trilogy. So there's a lot of pressure going on here. So, but I'm, I'm kind of looking at it as I'm not going to love everything. Obviously, when I'm talking about comics, you know, it, I'm, I'm being totally honest with everything. So sometimes, you know, it might be worth looking at. Okay, why didn't it work? You know, what what was the problem? Because when you look at the like the Rotten Tomato scores, you know, you you have to dig deeper to figure out like what was the problem. You know, why didn't these people like it? You'll you'll hear my thoughts. And I'm not saying I didn't like it. I'm not saying I did like it. You'll 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 see with that. And then we also have um, so Loki started. I so this is this is kind of good good and bad news. I thought, I don't know where I got this information from, but I was so certain, I think I might have mentioned it last week, I was so sure that Loki was coming out on Fridays. I'm like, why the heck is Marvel releasing it on Fridays? Yeah, I did mention that. I was like, Fridays shouldn't be the day that everything comes out because then that means there's so much stuff that's coming out. Not only are there new movies in theaters, but then a lot of the, the streaming channels release things on Friday. So it's like, okay, you got all this competition versus why not release it on a Thursday or Wednesday or Tuesday or something like that some other time because people still need to watch stuff. Yeah, maybe they're working or whatever. They might not binge something. So don't put the entire series out there. But if you do like a new episode, I want to watch stuff on, on a Monday or Tuesday, whatever. And that's it's great for me personally because then obviously I can start watching stuff during the week and not have to try to cram it at the end of the week. Then it turned out, it was like, after I got home from seeing The Exorcist, because I went Thursday night, I was, you know, uh, what was I doing? I, I was reading comics, because I was, like, so behind on, on comics. And, and then I was like, wait, I, 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 maybe I, I saw a review, or maybe some, some, someone to it. It might have been, maybe I saw, like, Dan Slott said something about Loki. And then I was like, well, I wonder how many episodes are dropping. And then I, I looked, and it was like, it was already out. And thank goodness there was only one episode. So I'm like, oh man. So it was like late Thursday. I watched like maybe like 10 minutes of it, you know, Thursday night. And I was like, well, I'm just gonna have to, you know, catch up, you know, watch the rest. I ended up finishing it uh, on on Saturday. So the good thing, the good news is I'm going to try to stay current because I thought I was going to be like a week behind and that drives me nuts. And I don't know if it bothers you. So we got Loki, first episode of Loki. We got the finale of Ahsoka and I'm gonna say right now it was amazing. Um, I think I mentioned did I mention Chucky first season or first episode of Chucky season three, and then um, I did mention the Continental. So we're gonna cover episode two this week, save three for next week, and um, there's also the final episode of this season of the series. Don't know of Adventure Time Fiona Cake, and I, I as I keep saying I, I love that show. So there's a lot. 
to talk about. So with all of that, that's why I'm kind of okay. It's like, all right, I didn't get the Gen V. There's still like so much stuff to talk about here. So it's probably going to be another three hour plus episode because I can't shut up and or get to the point. So that's fine. I just need to decide. And, you know, some, some feedback would be nice if, if you, you know, care either way. But like I said, what I think I'm probably going to lean towards if I get a chance to freaking get caught up, I think I'm just going to keep it like super brief and, and just maybe just do like impressions or maybe a little bit more how I do movies. Cause like when I talk about the movies, I don't, I don't do full on recaps cause I don't want to spoil it. But I mean, I could spoil things, but just not get like, well then, you know, what this person said this and then whatever. So you get, you know what I'm saying? All right. So let's get to news. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot and which was weird. And I was like, yeah, I, I was like, kind of off the grid, just trying to catch up everything, not necessarily off the grid, but I wasn't like reading any news. So like, I, yeah, I was just like, so out of it. I think there was a, a new trailer for the Marvels and it, it, when it gets to this point, so I didn't see it. So two reasons, one, because I was like, I just didn't realize it, it came out until like right before I started recording when I'm like, what am I going to talk about? What news was there? The main reason is when we get to this point, you know, the movie's coming out in like a month. It's like, I don't need any more trailers because, you know, I, I'm super excited for it. I, I, I can't wait to see it. I enjoyed Captain Marvel. I know some people were like, eh, uh, you know, I, I like Brie Larson as a, as an actor. Um, I, I love Iman Viliani. Was that her name? Uh, Ms. Marvel. I, you know, I enjoyed that. And, I'm Monica Rambeau. She was good in, in WandaVision. You know, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see this. And, and I enjoy the Marvel movies. I know a lot of people are just so harsh on it. And I don't, I don't know if it's like a Marvel DC or, or if it's because Marvel's not the underdog and people want to watch them, you know, fall or fail. That's, that's how I feel like, you know, people just get so harsh and, and maybe, Maybe there is superhero fatigue or maybe there's Marvel fatigue that people are having. If that's the case, then, you know, why, why do you keep watching all this stuff when all you do is, is complain about how it's like the worst thing ever? And, and I just don't get that. I enjoyed Ant-Man Quantumania. You know, I, I, I would like to watch it again if I had the time. You know, I enjoyed what else was there? Um, I think there's something else. Was, I don't I, whatever. So I didn't watch a new trailer. But at this point, I don't, I don't need to see it. What would it would be? The only reason I would want a new trailer is because, like, every time I go to the movies, it's like the same, like, two or three trailers. It gets to that point. And what's weird, I mentioned this, I think they did it for Blue Beetle. It just happened like two or this is like the third, I think maybe the third time, third or fourth time it happened. When I went to see Exorcist, there was a trailer for The Exorcist. Which is totally weird. It's like, are you just not paying attention? Or is this some new tactic where it's like, hey, here's a movie you're about to see. It's like, you don't need to sell me on this movie. I already, I'm sitting in a seat. I bought the ticket. <laughs> it's just, it's so weird. So when I saw this trailer for The Exorcist, because I only saw one trailer. And this, this other trailer, you know, it was, it was different. I was like, oh, this, this, it actually looks a little more interesting than I thought. And... It was just just weird. With I've seen the Marvels trailer so many times, and I love Beastie Boys. I love Intergalactic. So I was like, yeah, I, I don't mind hearing the song again. And and when Ms. Marvel sees uh, Chewie for the first time, yeah. Anyways, 
So we have that. Uh, speaking of exorcists, so David Gordon Green was like in charge of the exorcists and, and Halloween. Apparently a lot of people, or not a lot of people, but I, I've been seeing people like not happy with Halloween or Halloween ends, you know, how, how all that stuff. I thought those movies were fine. They were enjoyable. Uh, you know, best thing ever. No, not necessarily, but they, they were good. I, I, you know, I was entertained, but apparently a lot of people are not happy with that. And it could just be a matter because Halloween is another one of those beloved franchises. A lot of people are just really hardcore and it's like, you know, you're messing with my baby or even though it's not your baby, you're messing with my, my beloved or whatever, my precious. So a lot of people are just angry. And, you know, I, it's like, I saw some comments where people are like, oh, after Halloween, you know, why did they give them exorcist? Why, why are you giving them anything? Or it's just, so, so, and it's just whether that's a vocal minority, I don't know, or is that how everyone feels? But some people just like, just calm down. And I don't know. Um, so yeah, people are, you know, complaining about the exorcist now and what's going on, which again, we'll, we'll talk about that. But apparently there are some rumors about this dude and Star Wars that there was like some talks or whatever. I, I don't even know what, the, I, but I think this was before Halloween. So obviously things have changed and, you know, whether, the, and, and by having talks, as who knows, cause like even, you know, Lucasfilm, Disney, you know, their approach to what they're doing has, has been, I feel like it's been flip-flopping all over the place where it's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do less movies. We're going to do more shows. And now it's like, well, maybe we're not going to do as many shows. And maybe I don't even know. So we'll see. Speaking of uh, Disney and Star Wars, Deadline is kind of saying that Ahsoka season two, you know, maybe they're saying, you know, there, there's nothing confirmed, you know, nothing, you know, written in stone, but it's supposedly heavily, quote unquote, my fingers going, my, my, or whatever, heavily di- being, being heavily discussed. And that makes sense, especially if you've watched this, this season. I, I really do wonder how people who haven't watched Star Wars Rebels are taking this because those that have watched rebels are like, just, Oh my gosh, this is so good. And it is, you know, and if you watch rebels and clone wars, I mean, there's just like so much here, but I guess, well, I mean, I would think, you know, if if you're a star Wars fan, you probably would have watched those because you know, you, you want anything star Wars, you know, for whatever. And, and they were good shows. Yeah. Star Wars rebel, you know, the first season, was okay, I thought, but then uh, towards the, the like the end of this first season, it just like really cranked up, and that's another series I would love if I wish I had the time to just like watch those again. I still haven't finished How I Met Your Father, and I enjoyed that show. And did I ever mention that show got canceled? I'm so bummed about that because I, I still enjoy that show, and I have a, like a few more episodes left. Uh, so with the Star Wars Rebels, you know, if you watch that and you watch Clone Wars, I mean, it, it's such such good. Dave Filani. Oh my goodness. And uh, it still blows me away that I interviewed him way back for, you know, Clone Wars. And uh, this this guy, he's just doing such a good job. You know, everyone's like, you should give him the reins for, for Star Wars. And yeah, because he's, he's been doing, you know, he's been, he's been on fire with that. So um, could we get a season two? Well, it, it depends on how this week's episode ends, right? Or last week's episode. So we can talk more about that later. Uh, what about James Gunn? So he mentioned, I think it was on threads, someone asked about like Peacemaker season two, like, is it, you know, is it set in new DCU continuity? And, you know, he's already said that, yeah, it will be. But then they, I think they asked if it will address um, the new continuity. And he's like, yes. 
So I don't know specifically what that means is somehow they're going to say, oh, things are weird now. So things, things are different. Something's changed. Or I don't know. Because it almost feels like they could have used Flashpoint to reset things. But by what they did at the end with Batman, I don't think you know that really works that way. And so I don't, I don't know. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And I guess James Gunn is like currently writing episodes for season two of Peacemaker. You know, he's he stated long ago that it's not going to happen until after Superman. You know, Superman Legacy is going to be first, and then you know he'll he'll work on, on Peacemaker. So. We'll have to see. Uh, there was a new image for Joker Folly Adieu, Adieu, whatever. And um, I just, I am so immensely not excited for this movie. And and if you are, you know, I, I have no grudge or whatever against you. And you know, hopefully you have nothing against me not being excited. The first movie was, it was good. You know, it was fine. You know, Joaquin Phoenix, is, is he's brilliant. I just really don't think it should be called Joker because it has absolutely nothing to do with Joker and by putting in other elements. And, you know, so I just accept it as this is an Elseworlds, you know, thing. This is not the real whatever, but it's just, it just blows my my mind. You know, Arthur Fleck or whatever. It's like, what the heck are you doing? It's like, no, rule number one, Joker does not have, his name is not revealed. That being said, Sean Murphy's uh, Joker, Batman, White Knight, you know Jack Napier. Which I th- did he use Jack Napier? Which they use in, in uh, Batman. Uh, what's his name? Um, you know what I'm talking about. I I don't know. I just I don't want Joker to have a name. And yeah, and, and then we're gonna have Harley, whatever. So, anyways, this new image came out. I thought there was an image where it was like. Uh, J- Joker and um, Lady Gaga, you know Harley Quinn, like head, like touching foreheads or whatever. But apparently that's not the new image because I don't know. Maybe that wasn't a new image. The new image is is Arthur or Joker, like standing in the rain, and there's some people with umbrellas or whatever. And it's a cool shot, but it's not like a, this is a cool Joker, Batman, DC, whatever. But whatever. I, I hope I hope people are excited for that because I'm not. <laughs> And I mean, I'm going to see it, obviously, but, you know, there's that. Uh, Furiosa, are you excited for that? Uh, it uh, looks, they're, they're hoping, they're shooting for cans, cons? What, how do you say that? I, I don't know why I've never learned how to say it, if it's cons or cans. Uh, they're looking at the 2024 premiere for that. Because I think they, I'm pretty sure they, they've, They've worked on that long ago, you know, way before the strikes and everything like that. So it's, it was probably just a matter of wrapping up, you know, production, doing all that stuff. So hopefully they can get everything going, you know, because do they have to do reshoots? Maybe there's always reshoots. You know, a lot of people like, oh, no, this movie, this is getting reshoots. Things are in trouble. It's like, no, they're not. They always do reshoots. 90% of the time. I don't know. <laughs> Making that up. Uh, Michael Giacchino. So he's a, I know him best as the, awesome musician i don't know him at all i know him as the awesome musician for loss i love that the music and that that soundtrack but he was also he directed a werewolf by night and he he talked a little bit about like the colorization like how it happened because that was the thing like my big question i still haven't seen it obviously because i have no time Uh, you know because i i was wondering like when they filmed it 
if you know you're filming in black and white, you know, that's going to affect how the set looks and, you know, how, you know, with the lighting and the shading and, you know, you have to have different things and you're not going to really necessarily go for colored fabrics. You're going to go for, you know, different shades of gray or, or white or black or whatever that, you know, how shades of white, but, you know, because how you want to distinguish between different things. But apparently, I think like in, in, in his mind, he kind of thought about the, the, you know, if they would ever approach it in color or colorization or something like that. So, you know, they had some things in mind and they were also like, why did this happen? I guess it was because it's coming up to the year anniversary of its release or like, you know, what, let's do something different or whatever. And so I'm, that, that's definitely on my list of, of something that I, that I want to watch and someday, someday. Yeah, it's a pesky day job that doesn't let me do all this stuff. Um, and then the, the last bit of news is, uh, so Silver, there's going to be a Silver Sable movie. There was. Uh, it doesn't look like it's it may be happening now. So uh, Lindsay Anderson Beer, who directed that Pet Cemetery movie that's on uh, Paramount Plus, I, I believe. That also, I think that also came out this past Friday, which I, I wouldn't mind watching that. Um, someday, another someday, and she. So that was Pet Cemetery is her directorial debut. She was a co-writer, screenwriter for the Silver Sable movie, which was also supposed to have Black Cat. And they've been, you know, it's been kind of pre pre production, whatever. They've been, you know, option for a while, but now it kind of looks like there's not really any interest, any current interest in it. So maybe. It's not going to happen. You know, there's also they're like, well, maybe this could be a series, and you know, instead of a movie. And but now it doesn't look like it's really happening. So I'm, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, one thing is like maybe it could have been a really cool script. And I think I, I mean, of everything, of all the Sony stuff that that we're getting, but apart from whatever this Madam Web thing, because I, I still don't even know what that's about. But when you look at like eat the venom, the carnage, Morbius, Craven, I just don't know how I feel. I don't. Well, I know how I feel. I don't think movies around villains really work because one, how are we supposed to? Why are we supposed to care about a villain? You know. But I guess it's the same thing. It's like oh, you're going to watch you know Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers. You know you don't want to root for the villain, but I guess those are different things. But when if you have a, a movie about Silver Sable, I think that could be cool because it is something different. It's not just going to be here's another comic book movie, you know, here's another spandex or here's another villain movie. So you know, Silver Sable, she's not a superhero. You know, she's and you know, spy, espionage, mercenary, not spy, like mercenary. And it's just she's set in this world where there are you know superheroes or superpowered people. And I love Black Cat, which you know would have been cool. I would be, I would be very, um, I mean, I'd be very skeptical. It's like, okay, you better cast that right. So, and don't ask me who I would cast because I have no idea who who would be a good Black Cat or Silver Sable. But we'll have to see if I mean, and you know, never say never, just because you're not currently doing it. But then after you know a couple of things, they might be like, well, you know, maybe we should go back there. We have the script. You know, what can we do with this? So we'll have to see. And let's see what else is happening because that is news for the week. All right, let's see. How did I do with comics at Image Comics? So um, Clementine Book 2 came out, and I realized I still haven't finished Book 1. You know, I, I, I'm I'm curious about this. You know, I, I was enjoying it, but I just... 
I, I, cause I didn't start reading it when it first came out. So, you know, there wasn't like a main prior, it wasn't like, when did I start reading it? But so it's not like, oh, I need to read this so I can talk about it. But then by the time I started reading it, it was like after the fact. And then I just never finished it, which I, I do so need to finish it. You know, cause I, I what it's like, what happened? You know, I know she got to that, that town, that village. So I'm really curious, but there's a book too. So that, that's cool. Um, Enfield Gang Massacre 3. I'm, I'm enjoying this. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised how much I'm enjoying it because it, you know, it's a Western comic and it doesn't seem like there are a lot of Western comics and this is just, just really good. You know, you have this gang, the bank robber dude, and uh, he's like accused of killing someone. So then let's get the posse after this dude. And, and there's clearly something going on because you know, he did rob a bank, but he didn't kill anyone. So he's like, whether it's a frame, you know, who's framing him, who did the, who killed the, the dude or whatever. And uh, so things are just amping up and the, the just way it ends. I mean, there, there's some cool things that happen, but there's more, more problems coming. So we'll see about that. Um, there was a, let's see what, there was a local man volume one came out. So I talked about that. You should be, um, you should have read that if, if you didn't. Um, there was also Transformers number one came out. So this is a Skybound comic and it was it was fine. It was good. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily like the biggest Transformers fan, so I don't have a lot riding on this. You know, I I've read a couple of the Transformers comic at IDW. I never really got into them because I felt like that there was I was like you know late to the game. By the time I realized like oh this is on issue you know 18 or whatever and there's this this series and this series and I think there's I don't know I could be totally wrong but I think IDW was doing like generation one or generation two like different eras or different versions so then I was like okay if if I, here's a new Transformers series starting can I read this or is this tied to you know univ this universe or this universe so I never really got into them you know I read a couple. And uh, the was a Dreamwave. Is that the, the, the publisher? You know, they had some good stuff too. So I, I read this, and it's a good start. You know, don't don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not trying to knock it down or anything like that, or diminish. You know how it it, it is cool. It is off to a good start. I guess I'm also looking at it as okay. It's very true to how Transformers should start. Unfortunately, I feel like we've seen that a lot. So there are some differences, but there is an aspect of. Okay, the Transformers somehow, you know, they're on Earth and then they have to get awoken. You know, when did they arrive here type of thing. So, you know, we, we do see some elements of that. And what I do like, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but we have Spike in here. So even though, you know, I watched a series here and there, I wasn't fully committed. You know, I wasn't watching it every single day because I wasn't always able to. But... I, I do have respect for that, the fact that you had this character Spike, which I don't think I was super crazy about him on the show, but I, I do feel that he has a place there. So I, I think that's cool that they, they brought him in. And it seems a little different. Like, it seems like his background, his family's, you know, stuff with his dad, the relationship between him and his dad will be interesting just to see how that comes into this. And just to add another dynamic, because, you know, if you got a comic about giant robots, you know, robots in disguise, you, you need to have the human aspect too so you know we can care about the characters and stuff like that so it's it's after a good start i will definitely say that so i i would think and hope that transformers fans would be happy with that 
Um, then there is a Untold Tales of I Hate Fairyland issue four. I didn't get a chance to to read that, so um, because of time and also it's just you know it, it it got pushed towards the end of my list. I was like, well, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it, and then it's just like, uh, well, I guess it's not going to happen this week. But I, I will read it because you know I, I've you know I, I do. Um, care about Gert, about the characters, but I just didn't didn't get to it. Cosmic Detective came out, which I was going to read. That is, this is a. I'm pretty sure this is you know this is Jeff Lemire and Matt Kent and David Rubin, but I think this is a like a like a graphic novel. So it's, it's like you know I think it's like a hundred pages or you know something like that. So I don't even know what it's about. But I, it's definitely something I, I want to read. But because of 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 that, I, I didn't get to it. Um, then there was a Heart Attack trade paperback. Now here's the, the what what is weird about Heart Attack. This is by Sean Kittleson, which I think I've talked to Sean before. He did the Mortal Kombat comics at DC, so he's a cool guy. Um, but this Heart Attack, I remember I read this first issue. So this is like some alternate future whatever thing and there's people that kind of like have powers and you know there's a lot of like police control over people with powers and curfews and you know all this you know whatever authoritarian dictatorship or whatever you want to call it i don't know but we have this woman she you know has some powers and she ends up getting taken by the police apprehended it's like wait where'd she go what's going on you know she's missing now and and there's a dude that was with her and he kind of panics and like takes off but there, there's um anyways what i'm getting at is so I, this came out i'm trying to remember when this came out because i remember i read that first issue and then somehow i i never read the rest so i don't know did the rest ever come out because you know so i i started reading the, the trade and i was like yeah I, I read all this this first issue and i started getting into what would have been the second issue but I didn't get a, a, a chance to finish that so it, it's it's definitely worth checking out i i would you know recommend that at Marvel, um, someone tell me how is Black Panther? So we're at issue five, and you know I haven't been reading that, and I don't even—I have no idea what's going on with Black Panther now, aside from his appearance in Avengers, because it seems like because at first I was like, wait, is this still T'Challa? I think it is, but yeah, I'm not reading that. Captain Marvel, Dark um, Tempest came out. I'm not reading that. The, the issue four, Doctor Strange, issue eight. This is a. It's not that it's, it's stressing me out, really, but you know this whole war general. I'm, I I think I like the idea. You know, it's, it's Jed McKay, so I mean, it's 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 good. I find it very fascinating. It's it's kind of weird and scary in a way. So you know, there is this five thousand year war, like with the the, the Vishanti, whatever. You know, the, the higher magical beings. Uh, they recruited Doctor Strange to this war. It's like, there's, we got to you know, do it. So it was like a war outside of time because you know, Doctor Strange was fighting for like 5,000 years. And imagine a war lasting that long. So obviously things are going to get heavier and heavier and he's had to start making harder decisions and you know, just changing his tactic. And, and along the way, imagine like what you would learn in 5,000 years. I mean, imagine what you would learn in five years, now times a thousand. So he just became just, you know, just super amped up and, and powerful and, and, you know, strategic and everything like that. 
by the time the then I think the they there's like a ceasefire the war is over, but one of the conditions are like um but we want you we want him taken off the board we we want him gone, and they're they're not just gonna kill him, so what they ended up doing is kind of like erasing his memories, but they didn't just necessarily erase his memory, they kind of took his essence out and locked it away and then what happened when Doctor Strange was killed when he died just recently. This essence, I believe, was like kind of set free. So now you have the the war. What do they call him? The General Strange? Because I keep wanting to say War Doctor, but that's Doctor Who. So he's free, and he's not messing around. So then Clea, Clea kind of goes to him, and and it's like, wait, what? You're you're betraying Doctor Strange to go with this dude because you know she's got her warlike tendencies or whatever background and so it's it it's um yeah it's good stuff. Fantastic Four issue twelve. Um, I wasn't super crazy about this issue, and the, the so here's here's the thing I, I I've been enjoying the series for the most part and I like that it's you know taking things a little differently. I don't like, so, you know, Ryan North, I, I, I love his writing. I don't like the fact that this big fiasco with the Baxter building getting taken out of time, that it's, it's supposed to be a year where, you know, Ben and Alicia's adopted kids, the scroll and the decree, you know, and Franklin and Valeria, you know, they're all inside the Baxter building. So they're now missing. Plus anyone else who was in the, in the building, anyone working in there, they're all gone. So people are ticked off at the Fantastic Four. So they take off and they go to the Ben's Aunt Petunia's on her other farm. She's living somewhere. She's not living there, but they had this other farm apparently. So what I don't like, what I was getting at, is it almost sounds like they're saying that that year is approaching. And this is the same thing that Spider-Man was doing. It's like, you cannot, you should not put actual time you can't put a time stamp you can't say oh oh guess what we're pregnant and then here's a baby coming now because time works differently and a year in the comics you know a pregnancy should take like five years or maybe longer because you don't want to age these characters because if you're looking at the longevity these characters are around in the 60s and now we're in the 2020s so that's what for 60 years plus they're not obviously that much time hasn't passed. You can't put uh, you know stories around time in there. You just it's a sliding time scale. You just kind of ignore it. You don't think about that. But when you're saying, oh, the year anniversary is coming up, now you're locking in uh, that okay, a year passed within these stories. So if if it's actually twelve issues, then what does that mean about the uh, next twelve issues or the past? 36, you know, you're you you get what I'm saying. But my main problem with this is the Fantastic Four end up going to this other, like, dimension. And it's a dimension where the entire dimension is dinosaurs. And they come across, like, the Avengers, and you got Avenger dinosaurs. And <laughs> it's just like, I mean, I know DC, they just did the Justice League of Apes. I feel like Marvel did something recently. Maybe not. I don't know. But I didn't. Nothing against dinosaurs. It's just what's going on. Okay, then we have uh, Gods. So this is a Jonathan Hickman, Valerio, Val- Valerio Shidi. <laughs> I don't know how you, if that's right. I really don't know what to think about this comic. I feel like, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on this. 
Like, I feel like that this is comics like, okay, this is Jonathan Hickman. You're, you're, you're going to love this. This is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. And if you don't like it, you're crazy. So I feel like that this is something I'm supposed to love, that this is supposed to be like some big, grand, epic thing. And, you know, n- not to put the pressure on Jonathan Hickman, because I mean, he is good, but maybe I'm just in a minority because I'm not loving Ultimate Invasion. And, you know, that might be because I'm not super crazy about The Maker, about Ultimate Reed Richards. And this, like, rebooting, you know, I'm, you know, a little, like, I need to see where where this is going. So I'm not I'm not ruling that out. But with this gods, you know, we, we saw all these random like one page stories in different comics with, with these new characters. And for me, it's this it's the aspect of okay, we got some new character. Why do I care about this character? What's gonna make me care about this character? So you know you have that, and I feel like you know, yeah, obviously I, I'm gonna give the character a chance and, and any other new characters. But I feel like the just again, it's not fair necessarily. But because it's Jonathan Hickman, I feel like okay, this is supposed to be this ultra cool character. And then when I'm reading it, I'm like, you know, he's fine. You know, I, I it's not, I'm not gonna get you know some underoos based off this character now or whatever. You know, because I still don't know the character. So, what's interesting about this? What I will say is. It, it's setting up, it's kind of opening up a new, not necessarily a new corner of the Marvel Universe, but, you know, there's there's stuff going on that people aren't necessarily aware of. And there is some, like, magic involved, because, you know, Doctor Strange plays a role here. And so it's like, you know, there's a lot going on that, that even, like, other superheroes aren't aware of, because it's, like, on a different level, like, a you know, order, what am I trying to say? Um, not realm... You, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what I'm saying. But I, I feel like it's a diff- plane of existence type of thing. It's like on a different plane. So, you know, there's uh, other threats happening that, like, the Avengers might not be able to handle. You know, it's, it's on a different thing. They're not equipped for this. And having Doctor Strange and, you know, some other characters, you know, it's kind of interesting. So I am kind of intrigued with what's going on. Um, so I'm definitely, you know... It, it, it's, I wouldn't say that this first issue is like comic of the year, but I, I'm, I'm curious to see where this is going to go. And um, again, unfairly, I feel like, at least in my mind, you know, there's a lot of pressure that this is supposed to be my, my favorite thing ever. And it, it wasn't, but I did enjoy it. Um, apparently, there is a Ghost Rider versus the Hood. The Hoods? Ghost Rider versus the Hoods Infernal Halloween. I did not read that. It's not. Oh, it's an annual. Um, X Men, uh, Immortal X Men. What issue is this? This is issue sixteen. Uh, so we got some more in Sebastian Shaw and Celine. You know, Sebastian wants to invade Krakoa. He wants to get all the resources for himself because he's a villain. He's a scummy guy. But Professor X is hanging out on the island, so you know he got that aspect, and. Um, then you know there, there's some also stuff going on with wait some of the mutants are alive you know because we have hope and exodus and and um, destiny and you know it's like what, what's going on and everything so that I find you know because it's like they're in a desert you know they went through a portal but somehow they're where are they at and um, they 
do find another mutant like out in a desert and I'm really curious like what is going on with this character because they are not stable you know they're they're kind of messed up from the fall of x storyline stuff so it'd be interesting to see what's going on there and then um then kind of like the last page i'm not really sure what that means so we'll have to see where it's going to go red goblin issue nine i actually flipped through this and yeah it's just i don't know about normie being the red goblin and and dylan uh, Brock is kind of he was, actually wasn't really in this one so much, but he's um, been connected, you know, him as Venom. So I don't know. Yeah, we're gonna have a Red Goblin versus Golden Goblin or Gold Goblin, Norman Osborn. Uh, there was another one of those uh, Strange Academy team up things. I didn't read it. I, just, I still haven't read the Moon Knight one. I'm I'm curious to see if it was any good. If and and by any good in my standards, you know, if if I enjoyed it. But it's just that because I didn't like the strange academy miles morales it just felt so off it, it was hard for me to say well i'm going to check out this moon knight one so this is like part three of three so strange academy and spider-man but you know maybe it was cool so maybe i need to read that uh bounty hunters came out star wars bounty hunter it's another dark droid book um star wars the high republic shadow star of starlight came out I've, I've unfortunately I've fallen so behind on this because you know I've, I've listened to audiobook a couple of novels and you know I've read was reading the comics but I just fell so far behind and as I'm reading you know looking at the the synopsis page it's talking about like this uh, what's it called the starlight starlight beacon so it's a space station that was built and everything like that apparently it's it's no more it, it fell it was destroyed I was like what that was like such a huge thing and it yeah, so I'm, I'm so behind. I, I, yeah. Um, Darth Vader, issue 39. More of this uh, dark droid stuff. I'm, I'm ready. And it feels like there's still so much left. There's so many parts of this, this story coming on. I'm just ready for it to be over. Uh, X-Force. More on stuff with uh, Mikhail Rasputin, Colossus' brother, and whatever his scheme. You know, he's controlling... Um, Colossus and all that. Uh, it was also funny because uh, uh, was it what's her name? Uh, Sab? Is it not Sabi? I don't know why. It, no, what's her name? But anyways, her and uh, Sage. Where am I getting Sabi? Who's Sabi? No, Sabi is uh, Star Wars, right? <laughs> the Handmaiden. Sage, Sage and, and Domino. They, <laughs> they actually call like Deadpool. Like, hey, we need your help, and and he kind of gives like brushes him off because he's like, I'm an Avenger now and everything. But, so that was kind of funny. And then uh, there is a X Men twenty seven. So looking at covers, like, oh, we got Cyclops, his eyes sewn shut. This is crazy. And uh, Kate Catherine Pride, which I wish it was Kitty Pride. She's, you know, she finds Cyclops, but she can't set him free. There's a reason for that. So we'll have to see what's going on there. And then the other, the mutants, uh, they need to go talk to Reed Richards because Professor X took something from his mind. So they need to figure out, like, what did he make him forget? Like, so this was some information they can use. And it's something about, like, you know, being able to not be detected, you know, hide, like, mutant signatures or something like that. So 
a Ms. Marvel Rasputin four, so she's from the future. Uh, the, the Cinch and Tal, what what is she going by Talon? Um, so Wolverine, the older Wolverine. Yeah, she's going by Talon. They they go to visit the Fantastic Four type of thing, and Rasputin four. <laughs> she's uh, her social skills aren't, aren't the best, so there there's some interesting aspects. But yeah, so I I, I did enjoy that. Then. With DC Comics, so it didn't say what there was a lot. There was Batman 138, and oh goodness, so Batman, Batman's been dealing with, you know, going through a lot. I still understand this whole hand thing. I feel like I missed something, you know, did he lose his hand? He has a fake hand now? It's like, what's going on? And then we got this whole Gotham War stuff where he's like so angry, you know, the Catwoman and a couple of the others, you know, they, they think it's a good idea to train henchmen to be cat burglars because you know it's supposed to be putting a, a stop to like violent crime but he's still like it's crime is crime and blah 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 he does something to jason todd and and i think i feel like i talked about this already maybe not uh but they get an effect i'm pretty sure it was this issue i think it was this issue where you know they he, they get in this fight and everything, and Batman is is taking. See, I feel like I talked about this. He's taking the time to deal with Jason instead of worrying about any other crimes being committed, because it's it's almost like he's being stubborn and, and petty. But he has he he does something to Jason, and he just he like majorly crossed the line. So by what he does to Jason to try to help him cure him fix him that kind of makes you think it's like something's up with batman he's he is not this is not okay there's like more there's a, there's more to this the there's more going on here and uh he's he's not in his right mind and uh yeah that's it's a little concerning so it's like wait what what is going on and i i don't it just it's it's weird how it's like this is just happening because it i could see him you know being against selena's idea and then there's also the fact that vandal savage bought wayne manor and he took that over so there's yeah things are crazy birds of prey issue two this is i i'm I'm enjoying this i i love this you know it's kelly thompson leonardo uh romero and this is just such a fun book and it's such a i'm really intrigued with so you know black canary wants to save her daughter or daughter wants to save her sister sin and you know, she gathers his team because her sister's at the mascara. So they need to go there. And at one point they're like, um, so we're gonna like sneak onto the mascara and you know, get your sister and all that. Why don't we just ask Diana and you know, talk to Wonder Woman? Basically the reason, and this is not enough spoiler, but basically it's like, if she says no, then they lose like the element of surprise. You know, so like they only have like one shot at, at, at doing this. And what, what's what's nice here is they mention the fact that relations with Themyscira are really shaky now because of what's going on in, in Tom King's Wonder Woman. So like the first issue came out, what, I feel like second issue should be coming out soon. So I like that they, you have that continuity there. So that, so that was cool. This is, yeah, there's and there's some cool fight scenes in, in this. And Leonardo Romero, his... His sequencing and character, I just, I love it. Shazam issue four. So more on 
the gods kind of manipulating Shazam and and um, yeah, I mean this is this is good. This is fine. It's 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 fun. You know, it's it's what I would want in the Shazam comic. Actually, I it's not really what I want. I don't want Shazam being manipulated. I don't want the other gods like doing some stuff. I don't want Shazam's you know not sure if he can use his powers and all that. But it's it makes for a compelling story. So the, you know that that's good. Um, Blue Beetle issue two came out. I should I, I still haven't read the first issue. I should have read it. So I, I really don't know because that graduation day comic, I thought was it was it was fine. It was okay. And uh, so that kind of stopped me from reading the first issue because of time and all that. So I should read that. Uh, Fire and Ice, Welcome to Smallville, issue two. This is um, this it's it's a fun comic. It I feel it you know it's not totally serious. I you know I I kind of so I kind of question like who is this necessarily geared towards? Because I don't feel like it's geared towards longtime readers. You know, like you know, Justice League International readers, because Fire and Ice, their characterization seems a little, a little different. You know, there there are kind of some extremes. You know, with with that, the fact that they're living in Smallville now, which is like weird. You know, just with what they're trying to establish and set up, and you know, Fire is like trying to make. She's trying to conquer like social media type of thing. So there's a a lot of not not meta stuff, but it's just you know. So, but I I am enjoying it. I don't know. We'll see. But I can I can see that this might not be for everyone. Then there's Joker, the man who stopped laughing. This uh, I forget what issue this is. Um, this oh my goodness, man. Uh, I'm starting to get to the point where it's like I don't even know what's going on. No, we just with a we you know we had different Jokers. It's like who's the real Joker? Just Joker imposter. But then they both seem like they're the real Joker. And in the beginning, I was like, oh, could this be like? three jokers could this be a connection to it and it unfortunately it's not it's kind of good that it's not but it i wish it was because i i enjoy really enjoyed three jokers so there's some crazy stuff here going on and like i said it's just like wait who who is joker and then we i think we find out who's then it was like wait who's this i don't know um yeah a uh, poison ivy's at issue 15 i wish i was caught up on that but uh, i'm not i think that was it. Wait, was there Justice Society of America? Oh, wait, I didn't read Justice Society. Did that come out? Um, yeah, I got to read that. All right, so yeah, I, that's, I guess that's all I, I've read. There was DC Ghouls, Just Want to Have Fun. I didn't read that. I'm assuming, yeah, it's, it's a nine ninety nine book. So I'm assuming that's like a, one of those 100-page things. So yeah, I didn't read that. But uh, so yeah, that is going to be comics for the week. Okay, with the Continental, uh, so we're a week behind... Uh, you can watch the third episode if you are super eager. Season one, episode two, Loyalty to the Master. So now with the second episode, I mean, th- it's weird. I'm not complaining. Not really. But it's weird that these episodes are like about 90 minutes. Because they could have easily just turned them into like 60 minutes. You know, they probably could have found some way to, you know, another cutting point. Because if we're, if we're looking, you know, because you, you could have extended it. And instead of having, you know, three weeks, you could have four or five weeks, whatever. You get what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not it's way too late to do the math. And, uh, but the, the 90 minutes, it's, it is an experience because, you know, it's almost like you're watching a movie every week. And the other thing that, that I, I find interesting is the whole Winston's character, I guess maybe part of it, I'm, I'm trying to think back. I don't think I really knew much about 
I didn't even put two and two together. So I'm, I'm pretty sure I didn't even think that Winston would be in this because I, I never thought about when did Winston gain control of the Continental because obviously that has to happen at some point. I didn't even think about that. And when I saw the clip that with with uh, his, his brother on the, you know, Frankie on the, on, the, on the stairwell, I didn't even realize I was his brother. I just saw it's just some dude in the 70s or whatever, you know, getting this stairwell action scene. So I, I find it weird. You, I mean, you, we're, we're seeing some growth with, with Winston, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe it, it's a bit much, you know, if I'm going to try to, like, overanalyze it. Because, you know, as I'm watching, I'm, I'm not really thinking so much because I'm, you know, trying to focus in on the, you know, what, what's going on here. But it, it's weird when you look at the first episode, you know, he was, he was making deals. You know, he's trying to get some, you know, you know, money off of some rich English dude to do like, you know, car, car parks, ports, parking garage, whatever you want to call it, whatever they, were, they called it. And, you know, although when he was attacked in his hotel, he did put up a decent fight. So, you know, he must have some sort of, but, you know, he, he's not John Wick. And I, I mentioned that last week that that's kind of the, that that's a good thing because otherwise it would just be like, it's, it's trying to imitate the show or the, the show's trying to imitate the movies. And I don't, think that's necessarily a good idea and i think it'd be too too coincidental whatever i mean but it is this world you know so it wouldn't I, maybe it wouldn't be a coincidence but i i like the fact that winston's not this you know super you know unstoppable whatever killing machine that you know he 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 needs help and you know he can't do it on his own and so i think that's a good thing and also as i mentioned what, what i i don't know if i articulated it well enough but I think it's also good that you don't have a John Wick type character because I'm assuming, again, big assumption, I'm assuming they don't have the same amount of training time or whatever, you know, production time as they might with a movie. Because, you know, small, I'm, I'm assuming it's way smaller budget. So to do these stunts that, that you know, Keanu Reeves or anyone else does, you know, it's, it's going to take a lot of choreography and training and everything like that. I don't know if there's necessary the time. I mean, you could try to get someone that that is already has that in their background. So I, I I think by having Winston not be a John Wick copy or whatever, you don't have to have these perfectly smooth, awesome, you know, looking moves. I feel like I'm just rambling too much. All right, so this uh, episode two starts off in the Bronx, 1955. So we, we get more of a flashback. We see Winston and Frankie as kids. And this goes back to like the first episode where they had the Molotov cocktail. So they have the bottle. And then Winston's like, I want to do it. I don't, he keeps like pushing. But Frankie, he's like, well, Cormac never, you know, better never find out. And so here's the thing. I, I was assuming that, and, and I, I still think you know, it's not fully clear at this point. It's like, okay, where are they throwing this bottle at? There's this firebomb. So he throws it inside this building, and then all of a sudden this lady screams in Spanish, and there's lots of people in the building. So then they're like, they're kind of like surprised. So it's like, wait, were they not supposed to be? Obviously, they're not supposed to be there. So Winston is frozen here, and, and this is why he was so upset, because they were under impression. impression. At first, I thought they were, they were trying to throw something at Cormac's, in one of his buildings. But I believe, I don't have to think about this, but I believe that, you know, they were doing this and they thought it was like, like just an empty building, but it turned out it was inhabited and inhabited. That's such a wrong word, weird word. So Frank or Winston's frozen. Frankie grabs him and he's like, tells him to run. Then it cuts to the present. 
and Winston, you know, gets the personal effects, you know, Frankie's personal effects. Everybody's like, wait, who's who's this guy that gives it to him? He's at, like at the morgue. Um, there's envelope with dog tags and like a continental coin. And then he looks at Frankie's body. They're sitting on the, the whatchamacallit. What is that called? It's not a gurney. He was like, I think it's a drawer, whatever. Then he pulls the sheet up. So Miles is there too. And then they get, they, they cremate Frankie. Then it cuts to Saigon, 1973. And we, we see Yen talking to someone. And it's, at first I'm like, wait, who is this? I, was, I think it's her husband. Cause she says something. She's like, I'm sorry, I couldn't give you a son. Cause at first I was like, actually I was, I was like, is it her father? But then it's like, give you a son. Because, like, you know, if, if she's talking to her father, it's like, I'm sorry, I wasn't a son, so that wouldn't make sense. I think it was her husband. And he's, like, putting bombs on her, like like a suicide bomb vest. And then she's like, why am I being punished, whatever. And, and he starts talking, you know, about her sacrifice and honor, whatever. Because, you know, she's strived beyond their, their duty, whatever. And her love will be eternal. So then she, like, walks through this village. And there's, like, soldiers there and stuff like that. She goes into this bar. She has, a like, a detonator in, in her hand. And she pushes a button, click, nothing. She pushes again, click, click, click. It, it's so there's some like defect with it. And she locks eyes with Frankie, who's sitting and drinking at a table. And then she kind of smiles. So that must be how they met. This is how I met your mother. Then it cuts to the present. So she's lying in bed with Luz tending to her wounds. You know, after she got shot in the helicopter, or you know, when they're trying to escape. Then um, some dudes bring in a cigarette machine to the, the dojo, and. And Lou, she's like, she yells and she's like, what are you doing in my dojo? And they just ignore her and they just like walk out. So then she goes after and she asks one dude, he's like, who do you work for? And he's like, not you, bitch. And then she hits him <laughs> and then she like knocks him down. This other guy comes up and she hits him like in the throat and she kicks him. And this, this third guy comes up or whatever. And he's like, oh, you're Burton, huh? It's like, you're faster than they say. Then she's like, does Chen know about this? And dude's like, Chen is gone. He's like, new rules, my rules. He's like, in this neighborhood, everybody gets a cigarette machine. And she says that her father and Chen had an understanding and, you know, he'd stay out of her father's business and they'd stay out of, out of Chen's. And the dude's like, well, it's a little more complex than that. And then she's like, well, here's my rule. You mess with my place, you're messing with my family. And he's like, I'm a businessman. You're a businesswoman. Focus on your business, not picking up broken glass. Obviously, that's, that's a threat there. So this dude is like the new boss in town and, and whatever in this part because since they're in Chinatown apparently he wants to put cigarette machines in all the buildings and he's making the money off of it so it's like okay you're you're using my machines I'm using your space for free so that's part of the deal whatever which seems like crap and why would you want cigarette machines at a dojo at KD's uh, the lady detective her her lover dude shows up he has beer and pizza and she's you know, she asks, like, what the hell are you doing? And he says, oh, it's Tuesday. And she goes on about him thinking that he can just, like, break into her house and leave files. He says that, you know, he's trying to help her with her investigation. And, you know, he's like, your guy's you know, MIA, so you can, you know, stop your little, you know, goose chase. And she's like, I don't need your help. And he's not MIA. And, you know, she says that she's got a hunch. And she says that, you know, they had an agreement. He doesn't ask, or she doesn't ask about his family. And, you know, he's like, well, that's different. And, you know, she says, well, stay out of my personal business. And he's like, oh, I didn't come to argue. She's like, yeah, I know what you came for. Then her phone rings. So she, like, takes it. And she actually goes, she goes in the other room. And she's like, Francis Scott? She's like, you sure it's him? And the, the dude, you know, he's listening at the door. And she's like, I'll be right there. Miles drives while Winston's holding an urn. And, you know, he says that it won't 
help the pain. But, you know, word on the street is that Frankie got the last laugh. The chest was empty. And Winston's like, what do you mean empty? And Miles like, well, whatever they kill him for, they never got it. Yeah, so Frankie gets the last laugh. But doesn't this just mean that they're going to come after Winston now? And anyone else, whoever's with him? Because, you know, they, they don't care. You know, so I don't know. It just seems seemed like a weird move on, on Frankie's part. Because he, he gave himself up. He's like, it's me they want and this. And he had the case. But the case didn't have anything in it. So then we see Miles, Lou, Lemmy, and Winston. They stand around to earn. And Lemmy says that he feels like someone should say something. And Winston's like, I'm going to kill Cormac. And I'm going to need all of you. And Lemmy's like, oh, I was thinking like a prayer or something. And Miles is like, you know, Cormac's on a different level now. Winston's like, you so much as spit on, on his stoop. Every freak in and around the hotel will be after you. And he's like, my point exactly. You know, he's like, the coin press is still missing. They're going to come after anyone who ever knew Frankie, which is what I just said. I said, and Lou's like, well, we had nothing to do with this. And Winston's like, he's desperate. We have to strike first. And Lemmy's like, let's just give him what he wants. You know, let, let this beef die with Frankie. And Winston's like, I don't have it. He's like, I have no clue where Frankie would have hidden it. And they'll kill all of us before they realize that. And Miles like, well, Amy's symbol is taking them out. And we still got to deal with the Continental. And Lou's like, a takeover to whole, whole hotel? Winston's like, listen, if we kill Cormac, we're not only taking his life, we are taking his house and everything that comes with it, including his hold on the gun running game. He's like, that's right. Everything will go through you. No longer will we have to be the middleman living outside the system. You will be the system. Then Lemmy's like, well, how are we supposed to believe, you know, a guy in the ascot can pull this off? He keeps making fun of him about that. And Winston's like, that's, that's simple because I know Cormac. I know how he operates, how he thinks, how he manipulates people. Because as a kid, he did it to me and Frankie. We were his errand boys. We thought he was a god. And Ma's like, well, that's not going to be enough. Winston's like, well, I also have a lot of money, problem solving money, enough to build an army. I was planning on starting a new life with it. Then the door opens up and Yen asks for Frankie and she sees the urn and she pauses and she just like starts like growling and she looks at Winston. The others try stopping her, but she like knocks him away and Winston tries reasoning with her. He like dodges a swing and then she like tackles him down and you know, she just got shot or whatever. You know, she's recovering. Then, you know, he tells the others back off and you know, he, he says, or she's like, you had no right. And he's like, I know I'm, I'm sorry. And, you know, he managed to roll over and, you know, she like locks her legs around, around his neck, you know, one of those moves. And, you know, he like, can't get out. So he starts pressing into like her wound, like her bullet wound. And she finally releases him. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry. And she just like walks out. And Winston's like, if we're going to take on the Continental, we're going to need her. Katie, the detective, goes to the morgue. The mortician opens a drawer and it's empty. But there, there's a toe tag sitting there and it says Francis Patrick Scott. And she's like, well, where is he now? Mortician calls this dude Ezra. He's a dude who gave um, Winston personal effects. And he says, he's like, I don't know. He's like, that's not my handwriting on the tag. Then Katie talks to him. So he goes in this little office and like the other, other room. So she goes and talks to him before she leaves. And you know, he talks to some files. He's looking. And she like slams his fingers in the file cabinet. And she's like, you know, obviously trying to intimidate him. He's like, I don't know, whatever. And she's like, well, who, who was here? You know, who took the body, whatever. He's, and so he finally is like, well, I don't know the name. He's like, they just, they deliver contraband. And, you know, they came flashing cash. They wanted the body cremated. And she's like, they? And he's like, one, one I'd never seen before. It was a guy's brother, fancy out-of-towner. And she slams Ezra's head like on a desk. And she's like, what was the brother's name? He's like, I don't know. And she's like, what do you know? He's like, they were driving a green VW bus. You know, I think they live in Chinatown. It's like, come on, dude. 
at the Continental, Cormac is like seated, sitting at this big fancy meal, like in a hotel restaurant. Sharon comments on how good the, the cellist is that Cormac found. Then that ad, adjunct educator adjudicator whatever you how you say that that lady comes in with the with the, the mask on her face you know the, the lady like in charge of all, all this everything policing them she comes in with with that dude her, her clunky dude and she puts like a coin down on like on a tray on, on a table the chalice like stops and he gets up cormac starts to say that oh if he knew she was coming he would have rolled out the red carpet and she's like you didn't know i was coming in the wake of last night's events and you eat rather celebratory considering your slew of recent failures and he's like well comfort food nothing more and she's like comfort and you know she asked if he thinks in history men came back from a defeat by comforting themselves and she continues to lay it on him and then at one point she like she takes off her mask but the camera goes a little blurry and changes angle so we don't so there's a reason she's wearing the mask so she must have some scar injury or something like that and then the music kind of like gets a little dark or whatever. And she, she takes a bite off his plate and then she like throws the fork down and she puts the mask back on. So we never see it, but it's, it's obviously it's, it's something, it's like a big deal. And then she's like, it's understandable. People who are born into wealth as you were, they often seek comfort in the face of adversity. Perhaps it's time for you to feel uncomfortable. I mean, discomfort is a great equalizer because the mess your people made last night has brought the missing coin press to the attention of the high table. And Cormac's like, well, I'll find it. You know, I have people in the field. And she's like, you're a shell of yourself. Your own people are stealing from you. And then he's like, I want the high table's resources. And she's just like, you have three days. You have three days to locate the coin press and bring those responsible to our feet. If you fail, the high table will declare an interregnum. Suspend your position until we can name a successor. Your gilded cage will come crashing in on you. And then she like taps the coin. Enjoy your meal. And then the dude with her like blows him a kiss and they leave. And then Sharon gently like delivers another fork on a napkin to her. He's like, what now, sir? And he's like, now I'm still dealing with her face. So it must be something gross or whatever. Or he's just a jerk. At the dojo, they go over you know, what, what they have going for them. You know, Winston says that the people in the hotel are men and women. They bleed. They won't be expecting them. Lemmy says, because no one's ever been crazy enough to make a run for the Continental. Winston asks Miles if he has any military friends. And he's, you know, he's like, none that I trust with this. You know, most were just trying to find their way back. Those willing to get their hands dirty have already joined Cormac. So it's going to be hard to find someone not already in his pocket. And then Miles, but he's like, there is this guy, Gene. And Lou's like, Jenkins, dad's old friend? And Miles says, well, you know, at one time, you know, he even had a corner room at the Continental. So then they, they ask Lou, you know, she's like, where are you with all this? And she's like, I'll help because God knows you'll need it. But I will not pull any triggers and I will not storm the castle. So then Lemmy mentioned someone named Maisie. And because, you know, she has no love for Cormac. And, you know, she bought from them last year or something like that. You know, Maisie bought some guns or something. And Lou says that. She runs a place at the Bowery. No one knows exactly what it is or who works for her. And Lemmy says that, you know, they, they talk about it like it's an army of the unseen. Like she's a queen pin of the criminals. Or at least he's like, that's a nickname I gave her. And, you know, she's definitely a competitor of Cormac. And Winston says that he doesn't understand why he hasn't like snuffed her out. And Lemmy's like, well, it's not easy to snuff something out when you don't know what you're snuffing. 
so that they don't talk to outsiders. Anybody not from the Bowery can forget it. And Winston says, well, I'll take my chances. So he asks, like, where in the Bowery? And Lou says that, you know, they can tell him, you know, where they did the drop. But, you know, he's like, lower your expectations. You know, these people do not play by the rules. So we see uh, some guy up on the roof. He's like eating bread and wine. You know, he puts together like a rifle with the scope and all that stuff. He's looking down at like a kid's birthday party, like through the scope. And there's this like dude. At first I was like, wait, is he going to kill a kid? He's like, who is this guy? But then we see this, this man. It's almost like he's trying to lure kids into the woods. So the, the guy with the gun eating, he like shoots and he misses. He like hits the tree and the guy kind of like, he hears it. He's like, what? But then he shoots again, hits him in the head. Then the, the shooter, he has like a police wanted poster for the dude and he like puts an X on it. So obviously this dude was like some gross scumbag pedophile or something like that. And, you know, there was a wanted list for him and this dude took him out. So we find out that this guy is Gene. That's the guy that Miles was talking about because he's waiting for him at his place. They talk about his scope and, you know, because, you know, they look at it. Miles like, there's nothing wrong with it. So obviously the guy missed. It must be something with his vision because he's old. Then he, um, uh, Gene asks, how's Lou doing? You know, still grieving her father. And then Gene's like, she'd probably do better if she knew the truth or parts of it. So there's something about her dad that she's not aware of. But Miles says, you know, he's like, I'm not here to talk about that. And then, then he's like, well, I'm just going to leave or whatever. And then Gene's like, well, what's going on? And, you know, he's like, he's like, nothing that you can talk to me about. And Gene asks if, if it's the, the Continental, because word is on the street that some youngins are in trouble. Miles turns around. And he's like, we're trying to put together a crew. Might be a suicide mission. Definitely crazy. And Gene's like, well, crazy or not, it's a righteous cause. Because if anyone ever deserved to be eliminated, it's Cormac O'Connor. And Miles like, well, that's the goal. And he starts to leave. And Gene's like, I'll get glasses, prescription. He's like, y'all need me. He's like, no one knows that place like I do. He's like, the inner workings and whatnot, no one knows that SOB like I do. Or at least no one you know, left to tell a tale. So then Miles like, okay, you're in. And Gene's like, just like that? Miles like, well, you make a strong case. And Gene's like, oh, sweet Jesus, did you just play me? And as Miles starts to leave, he's like, don't forget the glasses. Then we see Winston. He walks down to the Bowery in a suit. He goes into this building. A guy asks if he can help him. And Winston says, that he's like, oh, I guess I overdressed. It's kind of like a restaurant or something like that. Because it's like the guy's sort of like a meter D, but it's like really not a nice place. He asks if he can talk to Maisie, the woman in charge of whatever this is. And the guy's like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. And Winston's like, well, I'll just see it myself. And then the guy's like, sir, sir. And Winston goes, sits at a table. There's like bugs crawling on it. This lady walks up to him and she's like, you wanted to see me? And he asks her to sit. And she's like, we don't serve your kind here. And he's like, that's good because I don't eat my kind. He stands up, stabs the table with, with a knife. Everyone there, they all like take out their guns. But then he holds up the, the knife. He's, he stabbed a bug, like a roach on the table. He's like, my apologies. And he looks around at everyone. So obviously he did that just to get a sense which he's lucky didn't shoot him, but he, he knows that everyone in there is like armed and working for this. Then he sees this other woman and he knows that that's the woman he's actually looking for. So the other one was like fake. So he says, uh, or she's like, you must be the SOB everyone's looking for. Then we see the twins are ransacking Charlie's place. Uh, the other guys are like checking on the cars outside. They're knifing up like seat cushions and stuff like that. Actually, no, no. You know, I take it back. It wasn't Charlie's place, but it was like the trailer thing. Because I think I thought they were playing cards there, so maybe it wasn't Charlie's place. Because because um, we see 
this, there's like two people like hiding in a secret like underground room. At first, I was like, is this a couple? But it's, just, it's actually this dude, one of Charlie's friends, and his kid. So then we see Yen. She went back to their room at the theater, and she's like looking at stuff, like old pictures. Then she hears like some clattering outside in the theater, and she looks out, and she sees some dudes like are out there. They like knock the head off the mannequin that says like, what is it? I forget what it said, the, the, like the trap or whatever. Um, then she turns on a projector. So the three dudes like spread out. One guy gets like shot and yells in pain, but you know it doesn't take him out. Then she rolls out from like underneath a roll of, a row of seats. She's like uh, from underneath or something like that. She cuts the guy with a blade, like there's like a blade sticking out of a seat cushion. And then she like kind of you know because she she swipes again at this other guy because I think at one point she like throws it or something. She like throws it like a because first she uses the dude's body as a shield as someone's shooting. Then she throws a cushion like a frisbee with the blade in there. And then this like big hook drops down and impales like the third guy. And then she picks up like a like a bullpen hammer or whatever, and she whacks the impaled guy. So Ken doesn't mess around. Maisie says that the men who come to her are usually looking for help in one way or another. And she, you know, she's like, after his brother stole the coin press and Winston blew into town, she thought there was a decent chance that you know he'd walk through her door. And then she's like, my condolences, by the way. She's like. What do you know about me, Winston? And he's like, well, people say you have an army, and unlike every other player in this town, you are not under Cormac's thumb. Now I just need to know, what is your going rate, and how soon can you start? So she's like, I thought you'd be smart enough to know that I don't deal in dollars. It's how I maintain independence. And Winston's like, all right, I'm very resourceful. Tell me what you need. And she's like, love. He's like, love? And she's like, the men I call my flock, you walk by them on the street every day, never noticing, invisible, no self-worth. But you take those same men, you give them back their humanity. Do you know what they give you in return? And Winston's like, what's that? She's like, everything. And now that same invisibility, they embrace it because they no longer need you to see them because, and he's like, they see themselves. And she's like, love, can you dig it? And, and then he, Winston chuckles. She's like, I was born from rich folks. Didn't want their money. Don't want yours. When a man comes needing help, I only have one requirement. They had to tell me their story. He leans forward and he's like, I'm the man who's going to kill Cormac O'Connor. And she's like, no, no, it's too easy. Why are you the man who's going to kill Cormac O'Connor? And then this dude walks up to her and whispers something. And she's like, your coming here wasn't just predictable to me, apparently. So we see like a couple of like trucks pull up outside and, and you know, there's a guy like walking in the street and she's like, it's being taken care of. So the guy in the road seems like drunk so that the truck stops and then there's like two trucks behind him, like right on his tail. And then several people in the street, they turn the guns on the three vehicle and then people get in and then they drive the trucks away. So it's like very, not choreographed, but <laughs> very precise. So, so um, Maisie's like, time for you to go. And he's like, you still haven't told me your price. There's got to be something. And she's like, tough to buy for, aren't I? And then she motions to the guy. He's like, you'll be leaving a different way. And then, so what I like about the show also is like every once in a while, they spend the money on some music, you know, because you have to license it and all that stuff. So then Pink Floyd's Welcome to the Machine plays. So it's like really cool. You know, the scene, he takes these stairs, goes underground, there's these tunnels. He sees like other men kind of like sparring and some dudes doing some metal work. I don't, I, think, I don't know if they're making like gun shells or they're doing something. And Winston almost seems kind of impressed with like this whole 
organization going on that you would never know was happening there. Then we see Cormac talking at a church. He says, the Almighty made the world in six days and rested on the seventh. The high table is giving them three days. And he knows, he's like, know that if I go down, I'm taking all of you with me. He's like, your failure humiliates me. And there's no secret what I do to those who humiliate me. He's like, now get out of here so I can pray. It's sacrilege. You people are even being here in the first place. It's, it's you know, wonder you don't all burst into flames. It's like, okay, Cormac, you're, you're a perfect angel, right? Winston goes to that trailer that got ransacked. And then uh, the guy, he like swings a bat at him. And then he realizes Winston. So he, he says that they tore his place apart looking for what Frankie took. And Winston asks if he's heard from Charlie. And he's like, hell no. He's like, bailed as soon as things heated up. And he was like, typical Charlie. He's, he's like, Charlie still owes me for that helicopter ride. He's like, so I took his Mustang and anything of value. But it's like the Mustang got trashed. It's like it, it flipped and got all shot up. So wait, so it was like, how does John going to get this Mustang? I'm so wondering what that. So then uh, this dude's like, you know, I have a kid to feed. You know, he's hiding down below. And Winston says that, you know, he's looking for Charlie because he's putting a team together. And Charlie always told him he has a guy for everything. And the dude's like, yeah, I'm the guy. So at the dojo, Lou throws a hatchet into a target. And Lemmy's like, you won't touch a gun, but all this other lethal stuff is fine. You know, blades and stuff like that. She says that it was her, her father's code, no guns. So, you know, she helped build a place. It wouldn't make sense to live any other way. You know, hand to hand, there's always a choice. With a gun, there is no choice, only death. But I don't agree with that because you could shoot someone in a toe. They're not going to die. You know, they're not going to bleed out from that probably. Lemmy decides to give the hatchet a try. And she asks, you know, why are you doing this? And he says, because she scares the poop out of him. And she's like, no, the suicide mission. She's like, you know, you didn't love Frankie. And Lemmy's like, no, but I love Miles. And, you know, he's like, look at everything he gave me. You know, it's like, I work here. I eat here. I sleep over there. He's like, this is my foxhole now. After the war, if it was for Miles, you know, it's like, I would have. And she's like, I know. Winston talks to Miles about Maisie. He says that she only wants love. And then Yen walks in and she puts on some like rolls of paper. And they, they, they look at Frankie made some maps and blueprints of the place. And Gene says that, you know, Frankie did a good job, but it's a sketch. It's not a blueprint. And he points like, you know, he looks around, there's like some armory doors. He's like, that's the Holy Grail. He says that crooks are always worried that someone's going to come after them. So the armory helps them get a good night's sleep. And Winston's like, well, you know, we need an inside man. And Gene says that there's only two kind of men in there, too evil to be trusted or too brainwashed by Cormac. So then we see this family playing Twister. There's a knock at the door. So it's the, the cop dude who's you know, sleeping with KD, he answers the door and he's like, Jesus, he's like, you're full of surprises lately, aren't you? And she says that she needs a favor. And then the wife, you know, from the living room, she's like, is that KD? Why not ask her to come in and play? So KD says like, oh, I'd love to. She starts walking in, but Mayhew, this is the cop too. He's like, oh, she can't tonight. She's working. Because obviously he doesn't want her there. And then, you know, he talks her out in the hall and asks if the favor has anything to do with that phone call. And she says, it does. Then he's like, dang, you smell good. And she's like, all right, your wife is 30 feet away. He's like, I know where she is. And Katie's like, yeah, well, are you going to help me or, or what? He's like, well, it depends on what you want. She's like, I need to find a green VW bus in Chinatown without a warrant. She's like, yeah, without a warrant. He's like, 
uh, it's a little arousing, you know, you wanting to bend the rules all of a sudden. And she's like, you know what? I never had family game night. Twister looks really fun. He's like, all right, all right. And then she calls out to his wife. She's like, it was nice seeing you. Maybe next time. Miles and Yen are driving in the, in the bus. And he says in Vietnamese that he needs to know that she's going to stick to the plan. And she asks, you know, what is it? He says that this old platoon buddy owes him a favor. So he left the vehicle with the gear that they need, you know, like walkies, ammo, all this stuff. And he needs to hop a fence and he needs her to drive the bus back. And she's like, that's a poop plan. Then they, they get to talking about, about difference like Muhammad Ali in the war, how, you know, because I think he was supposed to be drafted, but he got out of it because of the fight or something like that. And then he talks about him and Frankie on the loudest day of the war, you know, they're pinned down. And then he, you know, he, all of a sudden he can like hear Frankie praying to God. And he's like, suddenly it was quiet. There's no guns, helicopters, the war ended and no one told him. So then they go like back to the base and Muhammad Ali was going to fight. And then he and Frankie enjoyed something that they never did before, a moment of peace. And she like sheds a tear, says that she never thanked him for helping Frankie bring her here. And then uh, the lights go out at the place. He's like, that's the signal. So he goes, he hops the fence, gets into his van. And then, you know, he drives he, or he hits a button to open the gate. But nothing happens. The gate doesn't open. Then a dog starts barking, and this, there's this guard out there with the dog. And then, you know, the guy walks up to the window. He's like, no one, ra- you know, no one on the radio called us in, you know, that they were taking, the van was leaving or something like that. Then he, then he asked Miles, like, can you step out of the vehicle? Then Yen drives the bus, knocks the gate down, drives into it, leans out. She's like, poop plan. But you know, she's not saying poop. And then he just guns the van out of there. At the Continental, the cellist is... You know, so he's this young musician, you know, cellist player. He's uh, playing like outside in the, I don't know if it's a balcony or a rooftop. There's like kind of like a fireplace, fire pit thing there. And Sharon comments about, you know, about his music or you know, some, some, I forget what he said. So then it turns out he's writing his dad again. And he said he was just telling his dad how brilliant the, you know, the cellist was. And cellist said, like, well, I'm not sure I'm as, as talented as he is, as his dad or something. So they're, they're like sort of being watched. And at this point, it's almost like, is there something between Sharon and, and the cellist? So they're sort of being watched. Gene and Winston are looking for this other building. And Gene says that, you know, they should go through this own other building, like apartment, whatever, to try to get in there. So the cellist tells Sharon that he should get out of there, out of the Continental. And he's, he's like, oh, Mr. O'Connor, you know, can't survive without him. And the, the cellist says that Sharon can't survive without O'Connor. Then he asks if his dad knows about this place. And he's like, of course. He's like, I told him. Then he asks the cellist if he knows what goes on here. And cellist is like, well, I've, I've heard rumors. And Sharon says that when he left his country, his father gave him everything he had saved so he could come to the U.S. You know, a fresh start that he never had. He sent them a photo of him right here. And his dad cried tears of joy for success. He's like, where, you know, where he's from, violence is rampant. You know, here, at least, the chaos is controlled, so he feels safer here than he ever did back home. So Gene mentions um, a red light. You know, Cormac smashes a button, then a red light comes on in every room, and then killing on the hotel grounds is allowed. So their whole plan would be over, you know, before it started if he hits that button. And Winston's like, well, if we do this right, Cormac is dead before he can mash the red button. By the time everyone finds out Cormac is dead, it'll be too late. They'll have the tactical advantage. And Gene's like, well, how... Do they get to Cormac to attain that advantage? 
And Winston's like, well, you said there were two types of people at the Continental, right? Evil and brainwashed. And, and then he's like, why? Because then Winston's like, well, which one's which? And then he look at Sharon and the cellist. And he's like, well, aren't you smart? So the cellist says that, you know, he's been wanting to, to tell Sharon that he's been accepted to a music conservatory in Ireland and he'll soon be leaving the city. And Sharon's like, oh, that'll be good for you. And then the cellist, see, this is where it's like, huh. He's like, perhaps you could come with me. And Sharon like scoffs. He's, you know, he's like, I could never do that. And the child's like, well, why not? So Sharon's like, when I first arrived, Mr. O'Connor promised that he would bring my father over once I'd proven myself. That time is soon. But it seems like also some way to have some leverage over him. Because Cormac is obviously a scumbag. And then the child's like, I hope he keeps his promise. So Gene says that the chalice is just a hired hand, but the kid, he's like, I don't know, Winston. Cormac's been grooming him for some time. You know, it'd be high risk. And Winston's like, also high reward. So it's the next day. Sharon's walking the street. He goes to the P.O. box. And then he you know, get, has a letter. Then he goes to like this record store with kind of like a, a counter, like almost like a, not really a bar, but like whatever. You can get drinks, I guess. The, the, the guys, he's, he, he's like, what do you want to hear? He's like, oh, surprising. So he puts some music on. And then he's like reading this letter. So the store guy, his name is Jamal. I don't think it matters. Uh, then he's asked if he's all right, you know, because he said, you know, things are bad back home. Sharon says this. And he says that um, like the evil government ruler or whatever is most likely coming for everyone. And, you know, Jamal, he says he wants to show him something. So you know, then Lou walks up to the table where, um, Sharon was sitting she takes a letter out of the envelope and walks out and then she hands it to Winston who's sitting in the back of a car then we see Mayhew he breaks into an apartment but it turns out it's KD's apartment he just like starts looking around so it's like wait why is, why is he there then we see this kid throws a rock through the dojo window and then Lou's like in there she's like hey she starts chasing him Mayhew finds his tin box in the oven Lou catches up with the kid as he's about to open his door and then that dude in charge, the cigarette machine dude, he comes out. He tells her, he's like, get your hands off him. And, and he tells the kid, he's like, get inside. And Lou's like, glass needs picking up. Either he does it or you do it. Then he like nods to this dude behind her. He grabs her, slams her head against the car behind him. And then <laughs> this is another point. We've got some good music. James Brown's Get Up Off of That Thing comes on. So we got this you know, funky music going on. Dude um, goes inside. You know, he's he's, he's going to let his men beat her up while he just goes in. He doesn't want to get his hands dirty. So she hits and knocks on the dude who slammed her. These two other guys come up to her, and then she kicks him, takes him out, and she kicks a gun out of this other dude's hands He right as he fires it, and she just, like, knocks out. And then rolls into her, the, the, the car that she got hit, and it was like an El Camino, so she, like, rolls in the back, continues fighting in there, and then she's fighting two dudes in the back of there. And that boss man guy, he's, like, watching from inside. The kid's also watching. She keeps fighting. So now there's like four guys, like they're, you know, wriggling in pain. And one guy tries reaching for the gun by her feet and she kicks his head into the back of the windshield. And then she takes out this other guy. And then there's, there's like gunfire. Boss man, dude, he's like, you've embarrassed them enough. And then in Chinese, he says to him, he's like, you're pathetic. Go on home. And then he asks her, he's like, please come inside. So they go inside. It's like a restaurant. And she's like, do you own this place? He's like, not the place, just the people. 
So then he yells at the kid because he's like knocking in this aquarium. And he comments about one-armed beggars earn twice as much as, as two-armed people or something like that. And then she says that, you know, by throwing rocks in my dojo. And the dude says that the dojo, you know, or he says dojo is Japanese. Like, this is Chinatown. It's like, your daddy got away with a lot of poop. And she's like, and that stops with you? And then he's like, coon. All I had to do was use the right word. So she's like, you're harassing us because we missed the mark on cultural specificity. He's like, you people had a free ride for too long. And she like, kind of like scoffs or whatever, you know, because he said, you people. I don't give a poop who your daddy was. And she's like, you people? It's like, why don't you admit it? You hate that he won the belts. You hate that he won the hearts. You can't stand any of that because he was black. And you want to keep telling yourself that we stole something that we didn't come by honestly because we don't look like you? Well, my father built that place by beating the best of the best and living a life of honor. And he's like, so much more to the story than you know. And she's like, you're the thief in this hood, the parasite. And she gets up and she just goes to the dojo. Then she rolls out the cigarette machine. She just like knocks it over like onto the street. Cigarettes like pour out of the top. And then Gene walks up just then. Oh, I guess you're giving up smoking. So they go downstairs. So it's like... I don't know what the dude's going to do when he finds out about the cigarettes. So they go downstairs. She's like, I didn't know you had a room at the Continental. And Jean's like, well, not everyone wants everyone to know every little thing about them. Then she's like, is there anything else that my brother knows that I don't? And Jean's like, well, that's hard to say. You'd have to ask him. So he goes over at Winston, who's like reading the letter. You know, he calls it their tactical advantage. Sharon gets on a bus. Lou tells the driver, you know, she's like right behind him. She's like, this bus is out of service. So the driver makes everyone get off and she yells, she's like, not you, to Sharon. The cellist goes to talk to Cormac. They talk about the conservatory and Cormac says that it's rare for someone around there to think about getting a higher education because, you know, everyone that's at the hotel is just like killers. So he says that he wants Cormac, the cellist, like he wants Cormac to know how much he appreciates his time here, you know, however brief it was. He says that, you know, they told him to bring his cello. He's like, did you want me to play something for you? And Cormac, like, chuckles. So he's like, you know, this isn't going to go well. He tells him, he's like, tell me about your new school. He's like, is it the Canterbury on, up on the hillside overlooking Cork? And the child's like, it is. He's like, how did And Cormac's like, I made a few calls. He's like, okay, one call. I vouch for your potential. And the child's like, thank you again, sir. And Cormac's like, the reach of my influence surprises you? I was certain Sharon would have told you about my capacity for charity, especially for those who prove themselves. And he's like, he has, yes. I know he feels a great deal of debt for, for all that you've done and all that you've yet to do. And Cormac's like, oh, that's good to hear. He's just a boy. So, you know, sometimes I worry he might not fully appreciate everything. And the child's like, oh, but he does. You should have heard him when I broached the idea of broadening his horizons. He was unequivocal, insisting his fu future lies here with you, nowhere else. And Cormax, he's, he's looking pretty evil now. I mean, this is Mel Gibson we're talking about. He's just, then he's like, perhaps you could play something that speaks to that faithfulness, that commitment. Does anything come to mind? Then the child says, like, well, I'm going to play something from Don Giovanni. You know, the, the theme of the whole piece is, you know, loyalty to the master or something like that. Which is, you know, loyalty to the master is uh, the name of, of the episode. So the bus is still driving. It enters, like, this old abandoned building. And Lou tells the driver, like, this is good. Winston gets up. He's like, Sharon, lovely to see you again. 
And Sharon's like, so you are here for revenge? He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, this is about justice. This is, and this is merely a conversation. And he puts his like hand on his shoulder and Sharon just kind of like looks at it. He's like, relax. I'm just curious how Cormac talked about my brother. And Sharon's like, he called him a terrible thief. And Winston's like, well, Frankie was stealing from Cormac even before we met him. In fact, that's how we came to meet him. You were caught stealing? When we were kids, Frankie did the little collection jobs. He would get a list every Saturday and have to go around the neighborhood. Everybody paid, no questions asked. Frankie started skimming off the top. Not so much that anyone would notice. And this goes on for a couple of weeks until one night our windshield explodes. He's like, you see, we were living in a car and we get dragged through the broken glass, across the pavement, right to the feet of you-know-who. What did he do? I remember thinking, this is the scariest man I have ever seen. The first thing he did was point out that my shoes were falling apart, as if I didn't have any self-respect. And then he asked, whose idea was it, skimming from him? And Frankie tried BSing him, so I chimed in with the actual truth. It was my idea. That was the moment he saw something in us. That was the beginning and the end. We see the chalice is playing. Sharon asks, you know, what are they going to do to him? And Winston's like, help you. Can't you see that you need help with me? I was thrown into the system and then sent away. So I invented a new persona. You know, something to disguise me. But it was just a lie to hide myself from my own shame. Because the truth is, I never got away from Cormac. He was the one who decided what my life was. And now he's doing that to you. Cormac says, he's like, keep playing, keep playing. And then he's like behind him. He's like, everyone's going to miss your music. And then he whacks him on the head with a, like a putter. And it's just like, oh my goodness. And then he, he, he does it again and again, like, like seven times. Bam, bam, bam. It's like just caved in his head. And he, he smashes a cello and he curses him and everything. Because he's, you know, because he's trying to take Sharon away from him. Then the adjudicator's goon tells her that he just got word that Cormac has killed on the hotel grounds. So he kills the cellist. You're not supposed to do that. You can't kill anyone. And she's like, do nothing. Tell no one. Let them eat each other. And then the coin press will emerge. Which I was like, how is this going to do anything about the coin press? So then Sharon's like, it may look like we have nothing in common. Trust me. We are more alike than we are different, Sharon. Unfortunately, I have a pretty good idea of what's in store. What I'm asking you to do is not easy. May again go against everything you stand for, your loyalty and your honesty, and it will mean keeping secrets and telling lies and breaking promises and sacrificing anything he has promised you, like bringing your father to the Continental, for example. And uh, so as they're talking, it's cutting to a different scene because we see like Sharon get off the bus. He takes the envelope out of his jacket, notices the letters missing. Um, then it's like back before he got off. And he's like, did he ever punish you the first time you met when he caught you skimming? Winston's like, the next day I was in school giving a book report and in walks this terrifying man, the you know, most terrifying man I'd ever seen before. Uh, he's like, he slams his box on my teacher's desk. And he says to me, Open the fudging box. You know what was inside? And Sharon's like, a new pair of shoes. So then we see Sharon approach the Continental. The conversations continue playing, you know, for us as, as this is happening. So Winston's like, a father figure is responsible for teaching you about loyalty and family, relationships, and business. And Cormac may preach this, 
but he only cares about one thing, himself. Sooner or later, you're going to realize it's either you or him. I'm offering you a chance to decide who you want to be before it's too late. So Sharon looks up at the building, walks in, goes to Cormac's office. The chalice is still lying there in a pool of blood on the floor. And Cormac's like up, you know, there's like a stairs that lead up to the second level in this office, this huge, humongous office. So Cormac's like, our cellist friend, our oh-so-virtuous virtuoso, turned out he was very disloyal. He tried to steal from me, and I am sick and tired of people stealing from me. And he's like, oh, you confessed. As you can see, I got pretty teed off. Breach of trust like this, well, it just makes me more grateful to those who remain loyal. And with this in mind, I want our next musician of residence to be someone that we know, an accomplished international artist, and yet someone who will fit in more like a family member. That's right, your father. And he like chuckles. What instrument did your father play again? And Sharon's like, violin. Ah. And then he's like, sir, I, Winston Scott has assembled a team. They mean to kill you. And Cormac's like, and how do you come to know this? Sharon's like, he asked me to join them. How did that make you feel? It felt like an opportunity. Opportunity for what? An opportunity for advancement. Here with me? Indeed, sir. Good man. May I ask you a question, sir? Sure. What was it that Thomas, the cellist, was trying to steal? And he's like, you. And then Super Tramps take the long way home plays. Cormac kisses both of Jerome's cheeks. And he's like, loyalty. And that's the end of the episode. Whew. But man, yeah, obviously Cormac is a... Uh, He's he's unhinged. I mean, he, the, the poor cellist dude. Oh man, and and the fact that Sharon. So obviously, you know, there was there's something. You know, they weren't maybe like a, an actual item, but obviously there is a connection brewing there. And he sees that he kills this dude, and then he tells he tells him that Winston's is gonna. You know, he's got this plan, unless. Unless that is part of the plan that he knows. So this is a way for Cormac to think that Sharon is on his side when he's still... So maybe he's like a triple agent type of thing. We'll find out next week. Or you can watch it now, but I'll talk about the, the final episode next week. Okay, then with Adventure Time, Fiona and Cake, Season 1, Episode 10, Cheers. This is the last episode, and... Oh, man. So, you know, I know I should have talked about this last week because there's so much to talk about this week. But I didn't want it to end. So not only was I, you know, trying to make things easier last week, which, you know, I was because, that you know, only... T- and just, you know, I, I still I feel like talking about two episodes of anything is it might be too much because if you're not into it, then, you know, you have to skip over a lot or whatever or sit through and like, okay, whatever. But also, I didn't want it to end, and you know, I I wish it you know it was one episode per week. I you know I whatever. So it starts out in space, and we see like, wait, is that Casper Nova from the book that we saw? You know, was it last episode or whatever? And wait, are they on the moon? And because it, it looks different, because when we saw it before, it was like kind of the, the green, like old computer graphic type of thing. But here, it's it it's like almost. Like I forgot how it was, but 
they're like surrounded by aliens and one has the, the ice crown and then the moon demon king laughs he's floating by uh, up by this window at his castle he's holding the crown and he's like too late casper and he laughs he's like i'm going to an undisclosed third location and then this rocket takes off out of the top of the castle and nova's like i can summon a sun ship to give a chase and casper's like i think we should check out the launch pad for clues as to where he went and then he's like what do you think we should do so beth's reading the book then she's like, or Simon, Simon Shermie, he's like, oh, every time we get close, the crown gets further away. This book cheats. And Beth is like, Simon, you know, she's so like humoring him. I know you're really into the story, but if you're not enjoying yourself, you can just stop. That's the great thing about books. No. Then you hear, yoo-hoo, blue, blue, blue. Give me that thing, guz, dingus. And Shermie, Simon is like, you, get out of here, choose goose. Silly boy, he chuckles. The geese are long gone. Now is the era of Pond Swan. Get out of here! And then Pond Swan pulls this lever thing, and then he like he he, he takes off or something like that, and he leaves like a cloud of smoke that makes letters that says "Eat Feet." And then Shermie Simon yells some more. Beth's like, "What's gotten into you?" He's like, "We love Pond Swan." And Shermie Simon sighs. He's like, look, I know this is hard to understand, but I have to decode the secrets of this book. I have to. Then we see, <laughs> this is kind of weird. We see like a naked Simon with like a blue beam going through like the portal in his head and out his eyes and mouth. You, you don't, you see him from like behind. And you're like in this small room and Shermie is sitting on this chair playing like video games. So I was like, wait, what's going on? He's like behind uh, uh, Simon. And then there's like this little Beth figure or something like that on top of the TV, whatever. Then we see Simon in front of Golb trying to put the crown on his head. So he's still like frozen there. And, and Shermie's like, I have to, I have to, I have to stop the scarab. Then we get this um, weird shot of Fiona's hometown. Cause it's like, you see, but, it, but it's just like the, the park in the center and a few blocks surrounding it. It's almost like, like it was like torn out of a map. It's like, is, is, the rest of the world gone like what's going on there's smoke coming from fiona's building because scarab you know he's up there looking down from the smoke because he blew it up and then he's like crossovers then uh, uh fiona's like crud and uh gary i think it was gary's like he's hot and then lsp climbs up, up yells he ruined our house ah and scarab puts his foot on lsp's head and Fiona's like, hey, man, I'm sorry we put you in a, in a bunch of jars, uh, but we're back in our world now, so it's all good, right? And Scarab chuckles, leaps down. All the worlds you visited, all the people you've infected, your little trip must have shown you the truth. It would be better for everyone if you were just gone. And Fiona, like, looks sad. Kate growls and grabs a crystal. Get zapped! And then the, the top half opens up, like showing the other things that he's shrunk down or whatever is stored inside. My crystal. Cake turns into like giant chicken and she's like, get eggy and poops out like a digital egg. It hits Scarab like in, in, the, in the side of the head and it kind of explodes. And then this giant 956 appears, like actual numbers. And he's like, the baby. <laughs> So then, you know, Scarab, all I was doing was playing games on my work PC, and you put me in a flipping egg. And then Fiona's like, keep laying. And Cake's like, cluck, cluck. Another explodes, and it's this, like, short cloud thing with, like, green legs and a plant stalk coming out. 
And it's like, oh, ho, ho. Well, if it isn't Mr. Entomb his coworkers because she was stealing office supplies. And then another egg. It's like this big yellow kind of electric creature with a face. Scarab, you dweeb. And then he kicks it away. There's another egg. This little like angry blue guy. This is for the egg. Punches him in the shin. But it's just like, it's just like a tap. So Scarab's like, enough, you cosmic delinquents. Another egg like hits his face. This big like landmass with feet and a face appears. And he's like, hello, I'm Perry, the living island of insight. May you direct me to the nearest ocean or inland sea? Then his face cracks. His hole appears. Scarab stands in a hole with like a bloody fist. And he's carrying like one of the others like in his other hand. Cuts to Casper Nova. They reach the top of the tower, the castle. Casper says that they're in luck because there's another rocket there. Then he sees on a screen that the rockets have a pre-programmed route to the cosmic gate. Nova's like, oh no, but the moon demon is so far ahead, we'll never catch up. He's like, up, up, up. Now that we had the destination, I figured out a shortcut. And she's like, oh, Casper, I should have known. He pulls this lever and rocket takes off. On Fiona's world, Hunter, Gary, Marshall, Fiona, and Cake, they're all running down the street. Cake continues shooting eggs, <laughs> and then Fiona trips, but doesn't get up right away, and Scarab jumps down behind him. Crystal! And Hunter grabs him from behind, Gary grabs his right arm, Marshall grabs his left arm and bites it, <laughs> and Scarab manages to punch and kick them all off of him. What, then the Cake's like staring in awe, and he kicks the crystal out of her hand, and he catches it, and he makes an energy staff come out of the crystal. And if I can't extract this place whole, I'll rip it out piece by piece. He jumps up on a building. He zaps away a tree and part of the building. And it kind of, it's, it's like, a, like a page from a book was ripped out. And then it expands a little bit. Hunter whispers, tree. Because you know, Hunter cares about like plants and stuff like that. And the tree's gone. Scarab zaps like four more times. And like the statue in the park, the post office is gone. Fiona's like, that was the oldest building. Because on her tour, she talked about the post office. Cake's like, back up, everybody. I've seen movies. Cake turns really big like Godzilla, knocks Scarab down. And you can see <laughs> it's weird because Cake is like on top of the Godzilla head. And, you know, like her, her hands are going down into his body. So, like, the whole Godzilla is her hands, I guess. And then she's like, oh, I think I stretched too big. And Fiona's like, go, Cake. And Cake's like, love you, Fee. <laughs> Which is weird. Scarab makes like a sickle, but then Cake drives him into the building with her foot, kind of like kicks him. Beth and Shermie, Shermie Simon, they reach the final chapter of the book, The Cosmic Gate. He's like, well, this is it. Casper and Nova arrive at the Cosmic Gate. On the other side lies the Magic Crown. Casper's excited, and Nova says that the gate is closing. So now we're like in, inside the, the, the book. Nova runs to the gate, tries holding it open, and says that they, they can't both make it, but he can climb through. And she's like, go. Casper reaches out with his cloak. What do we do? And it's like, fire once. Nova will um, hold the, the gate open long enough for Casper to grab the crown, but she'll be crushed. Or Casper drinks a potion that'll give him the strength to force the gate, but it will also cause him to forget Nova forever. Forever? And Beth's like, yeah, these options are real downers, but hey, the crown's right there. And then Sherry's like, Beth, I don't want either of those things to happen. I like Nova. There should be more choices. And Beth's like, well, maybe there would be if you hadn't picked Casper's options every time. 
And he's like, what? I, I did? Uh, that, that doesn't sound right. And Beth's like, if we had gone on Nova's tablet quest or ordered the bales that Nova wanted from the food wizard, it could have led down a completely different path. But they, they were both after the same thing, the crown, weren't they? And Beth's like, I guess you're a kid. You don't get this stuff yet. Nova was basically obsessed with Casper. Wait, I thought, I thought they were in love. They were, but it wasn't exactly on equal footing. I guess that's not Casper's fault, per se. No, but he could have been more thoughtful. He could have noticed that she was sacrificing over and over. He could have... And then Shermie's head kind of flickers a bit. There's a blue glow at the like top of his head now. And the blue like zips up. Shermie's ears go back. You know, instead of looking like, like uh, Simon's hair, it, they go back straight up. Then he sees that he's holding the book. He's like, yeah, get it off me. Then he smiles like, hey, Beth, I was a prisoner in my own head. And he like, like chuckles. Uh, Kate Godzilla growls and holds Scarab in her hand. He tries climbing out and she slams down the other like, like on top, throws him through a billboard across town. And Fiona's like, oh my God, Kate's so cool. And uh, Gary's like, yeah, but I'm worried she's overextending herself. Scarab climbs out of some rubble, fixes his leg, and makes this other weapon out of the crystal. And it kind of looks like a boxing glove. He flies at, at, at Godzilla Cake, punches her in, like, in the stomach, and must go inside because then the Godzilla like, spits him out. And Cake's like, my bread basket. And she re- reverts to normal and starts falling. And Fiona's like, oh, no, Cake. Lands on the street. Fiona runs up to her. And Cake's like, oh, sorry, Fiona. And she's like, you did great. And then uh, Scarab's like, you're in eight, right? And then Scarab zaps her apartment. Because at first when he's like, you're in eight, I'm like, wait, what? Because she's apartment number eight. So Scarab zaps her apartment. And then this dude in the street was like, walks and like falls in a hole. Like, so he's gone. And then LSP yells, oh, wow. It's like, LSP was in there. Then they look at him. He's like, what? So like, why did LSP say that? LSP's not in there. And then Fiona groans. She's like, I'm not magic. I don't have a sword. I can't do anything. And Gary like frowns at her. Scarab jumps around zapping stuff. Gary starts throwing cookie people at Scarab. And then um, Scarab catches one and like smashes it in his hand. Marshall comes up. He says that he'll stop him with music. He starts playing the guitar. He's like, it's a new heartfelt song inspired by our love. Gary's eyes go big and sparkly. And, and then he's like, Gary, this isn't working. But then Scarab makes the ice cream cart slam into them. So they get like knocked away, zaps more stuff. Fiona sees Gary and Marshall kind of like beat up from getting you know hit by the ice cream cart. Uh, they're sitting in the street. And then she's like, oh no, I take it back. I want this world. The blue dot of energy lands back on Simon's head. He wakes up and he looks at the crown. So he's standing in front of um, gold Betty. He's like, oh, Betty, is this what it was like? I stood by and allowed you to sacrifice yourself for me, even though part of me should have known better like that day at the bus stop. So then it plays back when uh, you know she's waiting for a bus and he like walks up to her. He's like, I could have made the effort to support you like you always supported me. Maybe I never would have found a crown. Who knows what life would have been like? So then he walks into his past self when he, you know, he talks about the note that he found that she should be more careful. And then he like stops and stares and she smiles. And he's like, you know what? The Enchiridion can wait. 
let's go check out some petroglyphs. And she's like, really? You do that for me? Oh, Petrikov. The bus comes. He picks up her bag. They go to the bus. But then he's like, but wait, this isn't how it happened. And Betty's like, no, we made our choices. We could have made better ones, but I don't have any regrets. He gives her a suitcase. You were a wonderful experience. And Simon's like, you were everything. She gets on the bus and he yells, where are you going? The bus sign changes from airport to some, some strange glyph writing. But then it's not Betty sitting on a bus. It's Golb sitting uh, in the seat. Simon returns to kneeling before Golb. Was that conversation all in my head? Golb, the four eyes just stare. I think I only offered to become Ice King because I felt my life didn't matter. But I'm really no less worthy of life than Fiona or Cake. And Golb's eyes like glow. Fiona's phone vibrates in his pocket. Huh? And he sees six messages, ten missed calls. He calls and gets Fiona. And she's like, what happened? Are you okay? He's like, I'm okay. I accidentally got the ritual to work. I'm with Goldbetty. And she's like, hey, that's great. Did you talk? And then there's like a zap near her. And he's like, mostly I talked. And Fiona's like, listen, the scarab is here. And he's like, oh, no, hang on. I'll put on the crown. Maybe you can fight better with magic. And Fiona's like, don't. Don't change anything. This is the world we want to fight for. The scarab is kind of invincible. And Marshall and Gary are like helping people get to safety. And Fiona's like, but we won't give up. And Simon's like, but Fiona, what if? If we die, we'll die together as ourselves. And Simon's like, it's not fair that your world is in my stupid head. And Fiona's like, hey, if it wasn't, we wouldn't have met the Simon Petrikov. It's like, don't worry, Simon. I got to go. Fiona... And then she like leaps and saves Queenie, her to her, you know, bus boss. Simon picks up the crown, holds it tightly. He grunts, he screams, holds it over his head, and he thrusts it like towards his head. But then he tosses it down, like in, in front of him, and it bounces off off gold. He's like, "I didn't ask for the responsibility. It's too much." And then he kind of flickers. He like almost separates, and he's like, "Gold Betty, it's too much." He like flickers and he coughs. A pink cube with like a white sphere inside comes out of his mouth. And he's like, Fiona world? He reaches for it and then it turns into like a pink dandelion and he holds it. Fiona's world. And so people are, are hiding out. Fiona tends to like Kate because she's still injured. And she's like, please get up. You know, and Kate's like, just give me five minutes. And Fiona's like, I'm not sure we have five minutes. Then Gary's phone vibrates. And she's like, Simon, please don't make it harder. And Simon's like, I have something for you, Fiona. He holds the dandelion to the back of his head. And she's like, what are you talking about? And then there's like some blue sparkles like above her. Simon grunts, shoving the dandelion into his head. His arm extends out of the side of like an ice van that's like parked in the street. And she's like, is that? He's like, yes, your world. She takes the dandelion. What do I do with? Simon's like, you'll do fine. And then the line clicks. Cake asks, she's like, that's our world? So what, do we eat it? And she's like, our universe was inside one dude for years and years, but it wouldn't be right for us to have it either. And Cake's like, of course not. And she's like, <clears throat> and but when she does that, two seeds like blow off, like past like Hunter and Queenie. And then Fiona smiles, climbs to the top of the ice fan. She closes her eyes. She's like, I wish, and then, blows. It's, it's like a fierce blow. And then Marshall like reaches out for one because you know there's so seeds are flying, 
and it goes like into his chest and then he like smiles hunter grab ones okay linda and then there's like a bright light lsp is like i don't totally understand what's happening <laughs> just like chops it then then he holds up a squirrel <laughs> cake extends her stomach to touch one several people in the street they get hit by one they start glowing and the last one goes into fiona so Simon is still kneeling on like the green Tetris piece and then Gold like claps both hands together and seems like smash him, picks him up and like opens his hands op- and, and, or, and opens his mouth. And Simon's like, thank you. Then Gold blows Simon away instead of chomping him. Gold starts to transform and Simon can't see into what as he like flies further away. And then he comes across like a, a, a bunch of like floating rocks and each one he touches, like momentarily, takes him to another world. And he's like, one of these has to lead to ooh. He keeps trying different ones. And it's like, wait, did the last one work? Because there's like green grass and blue skies. Prismo finally busts a corner off the cube. And he's still in the hot tub. He extends his arm out, reaches the, uh, the screen, and touches like the, the pink goo that, that's a scarab, like hacked from, from the screen. And he's like, is Fiona World still there? Wait, what? A pink blob with a white light like floats and joins onto like branches like holding other worlds. They're legit now? How did that happen? He hits a button on the screen and changes to Fiona standing on top of the ice van with cake. But then Scarab zaps the van out of his existence. And he's like, it's going to hurt. Zap. Prison, uh, Prismo says, oh, glob. And then Fiona and Cake hug each other like they're like all crouched together. Does that shoots towards him but then it, it's like it hits like an invisible shield or something it just like goes around him scarab's like huh his the staff from his crystal shakes and expels energy which like starts healing the city prismo laughs he's like ah he's like you can't repo an authorized universe and scarab's like no no come on he jumps down the street he's like this is impossible unless this universe has been canonized the gold phone with like the the white wing and the red you know, the angel devil wing thing, whatever, it drops down and it starts ringing. He's like, boss? Okay, but ugh, it's not fair. And Fiona and friends are cheering nearby and they hear Scarab. He's like, I did everything right. And you, you hear Cake's like, yay, we won. Extends her arms, like hug everyone. So Fiona slides out and Scarab's like, boss, listen, please. <sighs> Fine. And Fiona's like, hey, Mr. Scarab, no hard feelings, okay? And he chuckles, no hard feelings? He grabs a chunk out of the street, like tosses it into a building. I'm going to tear down Prismo's sandcastle with my bare hands. His face goes freaky, you know, kind of the Beetlejuice time, and Fiona like screams. Scarab turns more bug-like, crawls up a building, jumps up and like smashes the building down. Prismo's like, oh crap, that guy's just not cool. There's gotta be something I can do. Starts flipping through channels. Simon is like lying in a field of flowers. A butterfly lands on his face and he wakes up with a gasp and he smiles. On Fiona World, Scarab continues smashing buildings. And then she's like, hey, Scrabby, stop wrecking my town just because you got a beef with Prismo. If anything, you should be mad at us. The Scarab bug like snarls at her, jumps down. Then Bonnie's AI tank falls from the sky on top of him. And then the AI tank's like, ma'am. The hatch on the top opens. Baby Finn pops out giggling. And she's like, all right, baby. Others are inside. I, I'm pretty sure it's Jay and Little Destiny. They looked a little different. And they're like, hey, some pink laser came to visit us all. Said you needed backup. And the talking squirrel is there too. Goes a cake. Hey, friend. Sorry I bailed on you before. You know, never again. And offers cakes like some strawberries. 
Scarab stands up and tosses a tank aside, <laughs> makes a big giant axe out of the crystal, and Cake yells to Squirrel, who's running away. He's like, throw the strawberries. Fiona catches them, and Cake tells her to eat them. And then she like gobbles them. She's like, well, I meant like one or two. Fiona grows as tall as the buildings. And she yells out, Cake, this is my top fantasy. Then looking at Scarab, like, just lifts her foot. Let me try this again. Stomps down, but he, he ducks. And then she kicks him into, like, buttery buns. The, the bakery that Gary worked at. Then she asks Cake for a little help. And Cake's like, time to get hammered. Cake turns into this big hammer. Scarabugs runs towards Fiona. Slam. Scarab stands, but some piece of his armor, like, flakes off. You think you won something? Ha! You are living in this fake bubble where nothing happens, but now you get all the bad stuff too. Your world to screw up. And I think I think it was Cake's like, that just sounds like we're real to me. And she makes her butt stick out of the hammer and like waves it at Scarab. And he makes another weapon thing out of his crystal. And he's like, egg you. Little Destiny jumps down, grabs a crystal, tosses it to Jay, who sticks it in a tank cannon, shoots it up, uh, <laughs> And to like towards Cake's butt, which turns into hands, and then it's like, guess what? I'm a copycat. Cake makes the same weapon that Scarab made, and like zaps him. His arms seems like start to dissolve, and then he gets turned into an egg. And other citizens start to peek out from behind their hiding spots. And Fiona's like, it's over. And Cake's like, what do we do now? It's like, hmm. And it, her stomach kind of rumbles. And then Cake's like, oh, I got you something to eat. And Fiona's like, no more mice. And she's like, mm-mm. Cake opens her hand, and a tiny apple pops out. And then she shrinks down to normal size. Little Destiny and Jay walk up. And they're like, hey. And then Little Destiny asks, like, would it be okay if we just stayed here? And Cake's like, oh, Angel, stay forever. And Little Destiny's like, oh, yes, thank you. We, you, know, you have functioning toilets. And Fiona's like, yeah, yeah, we do. Which, you know, I never thought about that. So I don't think Finn and Jake had toilets. They lived in a treehouse. What, they poop outside? Was there a bathroom inside? There's shots of reconstruction. Buildings are getting fixed. But it's not magic. You know, it's actually, it's going to take some time. Simon's back in a tavern in Ooh. He's sitting by TV, Jake's kid. Then Fiona and Cake are with Gary and Marshall. I think they're at like a coffee shop or something like that. That yellow energy dude is like a server there. Fiona gets a text from Simon. You know, how about this one? And I wasn't really sure what this is about. There's like a picture and it almost looks like three faces and like maybe glasses. And she replies with a face and is like, yay. So I don't know what that was about. There's a crowd protesting outside Marshall's mom about lower rent. She just walks away from the window, window drinks like some of her wine. Jay and Little Destiny are at an aquarium looking at things. Fiona skates with the roller skate derby people. Cake walks down the street, sees the squirrel, waves to him. Simon's doing uh, more lessons. He's, he's like, um, focus uh, on the 90s. There's like a sign. That little girl is there. and she's, She has a new Fiona hat. Then we see Gary has like a bakery van. He's like selling his little character treats out of the back of his van or whatever. Prismo's free. He says, all in all, he thinks Orbo got off easy. It probably helps that I put in a good word for you. Scarab, like, um, grumbles off camera. And Prismo says, you know, maybe you can even grant, you know, a special wish in a couple hundred years, but you got to pay your dues first. So Scarab is like shadow form, like Prismo. It's like, so he's like on the wall. 
and he's like sweeping some cobwebs in the corner. And then uh, Scarab's like, only people who never pay their dues say that. And Prisma's like, hey, Scarab, why don't you take five? I'll show you how to use my character creation program. You know, so I like to start with an overall theme. How about true heroes? He's like, no. And he puts in dark medieval mystery drama. And Prisma's like, wow, okay. So is this, like, if this is the end of the show, could that be, like, the next thing that we see, if there is a next thing? On Ooh, Simon's like, I'm feeling like this whole experience with Fiona and Cake helped me realize my life is worthwhile. I'm worried that I'll forget it. So he's talking. I was a little confused here. I was like, wait, wait, what happened? He's talking to Minerva Campbell, which is Finn's mom, right? I'm trying to think, because I remember when Finn met her, like, wasn't it like an island? But, like, what happened to her after that? Because is she still alive? Because Finn's an adult now. Uh, I, I, need to, I need to watch Adventure Time again. Starting next week. Well, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so then she's like, you know, this will be a cycle of learning and forgetting and relearning and forgetting again. And then the dog, the dog tour's voice says, this is juicy stuff. Keep going. So the dog and three other people are outside watching and listening. And Simon's like, I'm thinking of moving because he was, you know, he, he was in a, living in a garage and the door is open. People could just watch, which is weird. I don't understand. Fiona and Hunter are planting flowers at the park. The statue has been replaced with a statue of gold. And then like it's sunrise, you know, sun coming up. And Fiona's like, ah, just a normal world. And then the tank drives by. <laughs> and then a dandelion scene, um, seed is blown in the wind and just floats away. And that's the end. So it's like, is that it? Is there no season two? Which, I mean, with the the last um, distant lands, you know, that was only like one season, only four episodes. So was the intention here? You know, yeah, we're not going to do five seasons. We're just going to do one season. We're just going to do ten episodes. There'll be double length episodes, but that's it. So I was hoping that this would be more than one season. But if Fiona and Cake are living in a regular world, you know, they're not going to have big magical adventures. So that's a bummer, but this was a good show. I mean, I really enjoyed it. And I, I know if you don't watch Adventure Time, you're probably like, I don't get it. But I just, I, I really, really like this show. I, and I liked it way more than I thought. Because I was like, this isn't Finn and Jake. You know, it's, it's, at least it's kind of close. But it, I, I just really enjoyed it. So that was uh, Adventure Time, Fiona and Cake. All right, Chucky is back. So season season three started. It was a, uh, I, I, I part of me almost feels like I missed something, I tr- and maybe I I should have gone back, and you know I, I guess I'm not gonna watch the, the end of the last episode, but I'm trying to remember what happened because I do remember what happened with Lexi's sister, and you know they they left, but it's like oh cause then there was. Yeah, okay, I kind of remember with, with Chucky that there, there was another doll with this kid. So anyway, so it, it starts off, uh, this kid wakes up. His name's Henry, we find out. He like, looks in a closet, he hides, he ducks down. Some footsteps approach, and there's like shadow under the door. Then the door opens, but it's his mom. And she's like, what are you doing? He's like, mom, I saw him. And he says that he heard a, a voice, a whisper, and said that you know, they were all going to die. And she tells him to come out, come out of the closet, go back to bed. And 
then you know listen to her no one is going to die there's no such thing as ghosts and he mentions so it says something like when nana died she went to heaven it's like that's a ghost and you know it's like what about jesus and the holy ghost in the bible and she says stuff stuff about the you know it's an old house and whatever you know just the house has noise you'll get used to it and the kid's like well at least joseph is here and she's like what and then there's a chucky doll and so the kid's like to protect me from the ghost so she puts the doll next to him in bed and henry says that joseph said ghosts might be hiding in the last place you'd look and the mom said that well joseph is wrong you know, there's no such thing as ghosts or talking dolls. Because there's, there's, I think someone had said something, you know, she's like, she just has an active imagination or something like that. Then what, so she's like, you got this, whatever, you know, you can handle this, you, can, you know, whatever. So then the, the kid makes her say goodnight, you know, she's to Joseph, because she's about to leave. And then he, she's going to turn off the light. And he's like, no, keep the light on. But then after mom leaves room, he says, Joseph's like, we got this. And then the doll like turns his head in a sweet Chucky, good, good, good guy doll voice. We sure do. And Henry rolls over and Joseph puts his hands behind his head and, and relaxes. And the camera pans out. And I was like, wait, what is this place? At first I thought it was like the mayor's old place, but it's bigger. But it's, it's actually, it's like the White House. <laughs> so the light goes off and we hear Henry scream. So then there's a bunch of security that are looking around like in the dark with flashlights. So Henry's parents are in a room until the security comes for them. Mom calls for so this I didn't even, I didn't quite realize that it's like the White House or whatever presidential whatever. So it turns out that the, the the dad Henry's dad is a president. So then this agent comes in with Henry, tells his mom's you know they took him to ghosts and an agent his name's Teddy says that he'll go check it out. Other agent goes and they gather, they go to the teenage son who was smoking a joint just by this just say no poster. Teddy looks under the bed, there's nothing. And then Joseph's like lying in the hall. And then he like picks it up. Henry was freaking out that he said they took his dial, but they, no one did. Family's like waiting in this big elevator. Teddy comes in with Joseph, the dial, the Chucky dial. They all start going down and then um, they're going for a while and because like the teenage kids like oh how far are we going or something like that and uh, someone's like five stories underground or something like that because he's like oh no wi-fi great henry says that the house is haunted and then uh the security dog whatever starts barking and i don't know if it's barking at chucky or, or joseph whatever the lights go on the elevator and someone's like ow and then the guard has like blood in his hand, so he got bit. But then he doesn't make a big deal about it, even though there's like a pool of blood and and you know between like his with that little webbing between like the thumb and the pointer. So, but then the, they get a call. The power's back on, so they're gonna go back up. So it's like, wait, what was the point of all that? Then we see Jake. <laughs> he's doing a video. He thanks people for their thoughts, love, and prayers. You know, he's like me, Lexi, and Devin are doing great. You know, we're each coping in our own ways. You know, his has been focusing on his art. So he's doing more of that, that freaky doll art like we saw at the, the beginning of the show, the first episode. And, you know, he, he mentions he's putting together all these different dolls, like Cupid dolls and Raggedy Ann, whatever. The, the last doll he needs to put the finishing touch is a good guy doll. But there don't seem to be any left. So he's like, if anyone has one, you know, please get in touch. Because it's like, I really need that doll. So... It's like weird. It's like, why would Jake want to make art with a, a good guy doll? But then it's like, well, maybe they're trying, they're using the idea as bait to, to try to get Chucky. 
uh, there's a press conference at the White House. It, as the spokesperson lady talks about the brief power outage, it was a mechanical problem, it was resolved. And as the reporter asks if it could be terrorists or something, and the spokesperson is like, we're still looking into it. And the reporter's like, so you don't really know what it was all about, but it was serious enough, serious enough to move the president to and the family to the bunker. And she like looks at her, so the, the president's son the teenage, the super teenage kid, he did a TikTok about it. And the, the spokesperson is like, of course he did. So she said that, you know, it's just part of protocol. And the same reporter, so she gets like two questions, like, no, there's no other reporters there. She's like, asked if this could lead to more security concerns in the White House and the country as a whole. It's like, because the power went out. Spokesperson says the president was elected on a platform of pure transparency. All records and tax, you know, all this, whatever, everything is public. So if there are any concerns, the reporter and everyone else in the room will, will know. But then the reporter just looks skeptical. So it's like, who is this annoying reporter? Presidential family's having breakfast. Joseph's there too. And the mom says to the older kid, I think his name is Grant. And she's like, no more TikTok. And he's like, you can't censor me, mom. He's like, not when you're married to president transparency. And she's like, don't call your father that. So he's an annoying kid. Henry is reading this book about ghosts in the white house. Like ghosts, that's the 1600. That's the, the episode. Mom asks, where'd you get that book? And he's like the gift shop downstairs. So the president and his wife, the kid's mom, they look at each other as he's reading. He reads about like president Lincoln, but the kid dying. And then he's like, how old was he? The mom She's like, he was 11. She, I guess, knew that off the top of her head. I didn't know that off the top of my head. Then Henry tells his dad that, you know, Joseph doesn't want to go to school with him. He wants to go to work with, with him. He wants to see the Oval Office. And he's like, okay. So then President's in the Oval Office. He opens a letter with like this fancy blade opener. So you know something's going to happen with, with, with that blade. The Joseph Dowell, Chucky Dowell is there. I guess the vice president, I thought he was just some other dude because there's a, a guy and a lady in there. So the vice president says that they were hacked, but by who? And, you know, it's like maybe something to see if they could do it. So they, and, and he thinks that they have a leak in the White House. And the president's like, well, you know, we're going to tell people the truth. And the, the dude's like, that the United States government was hacked? So, so then, then the VPS, he's like, what's up? What's with the Dow? And so he goes up, he's like, what's your name? And then Joseph talks. President says it's a strange coincidence that Henry finds a doll with that name. So there's something about, like, who is Joseph? Was there another, did they have another kid and something happened? So the secretary comes in, oh, your one o'clock appointment or whatever is there. So the president, president puts the opener back, blade back in this big case. It's like it's this box. And Joseph's left alone in there. And then the eyes move side to side. So you know... Joseph Chucky is going to take that blade. Lexi is doing her own video <laughs> and she's like kind of doing some posing and dancing in the room and whatever. And she mentions doing a, a you know, thirst trap TikToks, or whatever, giving people what they want. And then it's like fudge you and all stuff like that. And she's like, now that I have your attention last Christmas Eve, my mother was murdered in cold blood. So we get a flashback to her getting like <laughs> chopped in half by the chainsaw, which I don't understand the physics of how a doll could do that. 
her, and she's like, you know, her sister was kidnapped. She's like, I missed him more than words can say. She holds up a picture of, of her sister, of Caroline. And she's like, this is the most recent one. If anyone has any information, please contact me. And then she tells her sister, she's like, I love you. And I'm going to bring you home. But most importantly, be very, very careful with that doll. So we see Henry at school. This other kid's kind of giving a hard time. He says like, oh, you don't have your doll today or whatever. And then Henry kind of threatens him because he makes a comment you know, after he said that, but Henry, you know, mentions his bodyguard or whatever. And then Teddy's like, well, you should make, you know, you should, don't you want friends? He's like, well, you're my friend. He's like, well, you know, you should have friends your own age. Teddy goes on, he talks about his son being a good kid. He's like, close to his age, whatever. And then Henry says that, or he says something that, you know, he's like, well, Joseph has a heart too. Cause he's like, at night, if I listen, I can hear it beating. Cause they're talking about something, you know, having good heart, being good president's wife is meeting with him because he goes to secretary he's late for a meeting with her they're supposed to go over color swatches whatever then he knows notices that um joseph the doll is not in the chair and he's actually in his chair behind the desk there's a drawer open so he closes it comes out with the doll asks the secretary he's like was henry in in my office she's like no then he's like who was in there secretary names a couple people and the president's like, who's a comedian? And she's like confused. He's like, no, never mind. So Henry is now, his brother's in a car too. Then Henry wants to get a smoothie because it's like he's scared to go home or something like that. Grant tells he's like, you got to cut the crap. He's like, mom and dad are freaking out. So the president's looking at colors, the paint colors with his wife because she's feeling pressure of redecorating because she feels like everyone's watching. And he says that he doesn't want her to feel pressure. And she says that, you know, she also has to keep busy just like him. So again, does this have something to do with whoever the other real Joseph is? Henry comes in and he asks where his doll, where his Joseph is. And dad's like, oh, he's in your room. And then Henry asks Teddy, he's like, can you do a sweep first? So Teddy goes into the bedroom. Joseph's in there. And he like looks around. He Then he goes by Joseph. He crouches down in front of him. And then... He sees something, the president's letter openers in the doll's like front overall pocket. He, he's confused. And then Joseph frowns a little bit, grabs Teddy's gun out of his holster, holds it under his chin, push, shoots it. Brain matter goes flying back on the wall. So it's just like, you know, smearing down. And then he, um, his body falls to the floor. There's like a bloody chunk with like, it looks like part of an eye. It's like sliding down the wall. Then Joseph puts the gun in his hand and he laughs. And then... Um, I think the president's name is Charlotte because then she like screams because they must have heard the shot. Then it cuts to Devin. I think he's doing a podcast or something like that because, you know, that was this thing before. He mentions, he's like, you know, many of you are wondering what really happened at the boarding school. I forget the the Blessed Saints or I forget what it was called. Or no, that wasn't it. But then he, he talks about the deaths, the good guy doll, Charles Lee Ray. He's like, you know, is there a connection between that doll and the murders? And he's like, Yes. He's like, but where's the proof? And he's like, I'm working on that. Right now, I have a date with the hottest guy in Hackensack. So Devin and, and Jake are still together. Teddy's body is taken out in a body bag. There's a, another press conference. The spokesperson says the agent was alone, fired a single shot. First family was elsewhere. Everyone was safe. And you know they request that you respect their privacy. So a reporter asks if, if he re- committed suicide. 
And the press secretary or whatever, she's like, you know, they're still investigating it, but it appears it was self-inflicted. Then that other annoying reporter asked, is, is the president going to be completely tra- transparent with this? And it's basically like, yep, you know, moments like this require utmost honesty. And then uh, the reporter gives a weird look, but it's pretty sure it was a vice president dude. You know, she like looks over, he's standing off to the side. It's like, I don't know what, what's up with this annoying reporter. Well, I guess we'll find out. So then, um, you know, there's people in Henry's room, you know, they got the hat, like the medical suits or hazmats, investigating suits, whatever you're called, you know, booties and all that stuff. Joseph's, um, the Chucky doll sitting in the corner. So then Henry's like, Teddy left me. Dad tries, the president tries consoling him, says that Teddy was sick. None of them knew. And then Henry's like, is Teddy going to come back and haunt me too? And then he's like, what about Joseph? Can I have him now? And mom says that, you know, they have to investigate first, then he can have his doll. And then he, he, this is so dramatic. Then they they put like one little like police scene, crime scene tape, like across, like horizontal, not even covering like lengthwise of the door. And he's like, Joseph. And he's like, where am I going to sleep? So then that, this agent is in Grant's room. He tells him that his brother's going to bunk with him. And his brother's like, oh, that's okay. You know, we could both use a company. Then Grant thanks him for not writing him out about smoking. Because it's the same dude that found him the other night. And then he's like, could you imagine if my parents knew I was smoking weed? Then we see the president is smoking out of a big old bong with his wife. They're like in their bedroom. And she thinks of like Teddy's wife and kids. Wonders if it's a good idea letting Henry get attached to a doll. The president says that, you know, it's offering him comfort. So who are they to take that away from him? thing I don't understand is if, if Grant is like smoking pot and stuff like that, how could they not smell it? It's like you could smell when someone smoked because it's just they reek of it. At Hackensack, Jake and Devin are lying next to each other, looking at each other. They're talking. They smooch, blah, 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 stuff like that. And, and then Jake asks if he's nervous. And they say that they're ready, so I guess they've never do do do. I, th- I thought they did before because you know they're roommates in boarding school. I guess they weren't whatever. But then the phone chimes. He gets up. Um, then Lexi walks in with. She just walks right in the room. She has her phone, and Jake's is like. He reads. Still looking for a good guy doll. I know where you can find one. Real lifelike. Lexi reads her message text or whatever. It's about, you know, looking for a sister. Maybe they can help. They're real good with little kids. And then Devin's like, <laughs> Devin's like, mine just says, fudge you, Devin. <laughs> then Jake's phone rings and he answers and you hear Chucky's laugh. And he tells Jake that he, he's like, oh, you have a beautiful telephone voice. And then he's like, you bitches miss me? And Jake's like, yeah, we missed you. Tell us where, where you are. We'll come visit right now. Nah, you know me. I'm more a hide-and-seek kind of guy. Plus, my new place is very strict with visitors. And so then Jake's like, okay, Chucky, you want to play? Let's play. Give us a clue. I just did. And he hangs up. The caller ID on the phone says the call is from area code 000-000-0000. And they stand around like they're trying to figure out like who farted in the room because they're like looking at each other with these weird looks. Then um, Jake, Lexi, and Devin are they're, they're sitting in a dining 
nook or like you know, dining table or whatever. So there's this lady there. I, I'm pretty sure it was their, their science teacher because I remember, I think they met up with her or whatever. So she's kind of like taking them in. Then she's giving going to give them a test with all the subjects. Says that you know they're a couple of months into the school year and they barely cracked a book. So she's homeschooling them too, I guess. You know, she doesn't want them to end up stupid. So then she leaves the room and she wonders, uh, uh, Lexi wonders if they should tell her about Chucky. But they're like, no, whatever. So then there's a funeral for Teddy. Henry has Joseph with him. Um, and Henry, then he starts like flinching at the 21 gun salute. The knowing reporters are off to the side. This dude comes up to her and says that he pulled the bank statements like she wanted. So the Secret Service fell totally clean. And she's like, were there any large cath withdrawals or anything like that? And the, the guy's like, he was a Boy Scout. The science teacher is grading the test. They talk about um, the number on the phone, you know, because only people with that kind of, they have a number like that. And only people with that kind of power to get that number are like the CIA or the Pentagon. Then the lady tells them that they're way behind her peers. They have a lot of catching up to do. So she's going to go make a lesson plan. Lexi, like, she's, you know, TV was on. She like, curses, turns up the volume. So you see news report on the first family. They're, like, walking from the funeral. Henry, you can see him carrying Joseph. And Jake's like, Chucky's in the White House? How do you even get in there? What's he want? And Lexi's like, we'll, we'll, we'll go there. You know, we go to D.C. and we stop him. Devin's like, it's the White House. And Jake says, well, if Chucky can weasel his way in, so can we. We're going to kill Chucky guys once and for all. And Devin's like, again? Yeah. That's the end of the episode. So like I said, it was a, it was a fine episode. Uh, not as good as some of the others, but it, it, was, it was fine. So we have that. I was kind of surprised. I was like, you know, where, where's this show going to go in, in the third season? Because the second season, I, I like the second season, you know. Um, so it's like, Chucky's is still going on. So my confusion was like, how did... Because they did another spell at the hotel, I think, at the end of the last season. So I guess that brought Chucky into this Joseph doll. But it's like, how, why did he pick that name? How did he know? I don't remember. So that was uh, this week's, or that was last week's Chucky. So I think Chucky's are on Wednesdays. But so this season also, because for some strange reason, season two took forever to come out to Peacock. You know, I it, you can watch it on. USA and sci-fi. I think I'm watching it on sci-fi. So you have two cable options. So on Wednesdays, they air on, I think, USA and sci-fi. And then Thursdays, the next day, they'll be on Peacock. But like I said, for some reason, it took so long for the second season to come to Peacock. But you can catch up if you haven't watched it. Star Wars or Ahsoka, season one, episode eight, The Jedi, The Witch, and The Warlord. So I, I think I already meant, I don't know if that I mentioned it. This was such a good, good show, good series. I can't believe everyone dies at the end of this episode. Or do they? It starts off, the Star Destroyer cargo transfers. It's still, it's, um, you know, they're still loading it. And then uh, I think Elizabeth's like, like it's, it's complete or something like that. And Theron tells Enoch to bring the Eye of Scion out of orbit. So that's a big ring thing. So they're going to begin the interlocking procedure. Then Enoch says that he thinks that they have a lock on the Jedi. I want to know what the deal is with this Enoch guy. And I'm like, what's his story? So he, he says that they have a lock on the Jedi starfighter. So Thrawn's like, 
Send our two TIE fighters. If they find a mark, tell them to engage. And Elsbeth says that there's little that the Jedi can do to stop them now. And he says that he's watched. Many Imperial officers make the same assumptions about the rebellion. Even I fell victim to the heroics of a single Jedi. Never again. Then he talks to the Great Mothers, says that their alliance has been mutually beneficial. They say that they're grateful to him and to Morgan, who heard their dreams across the stars. And they tell her she'll be rewarded. The gift of shadows. Are you prepared? And she's like, uh, yes, Great Mothers. Do you pledge yourself to the sisterhood, to the magics, and it's magic with a K, to the magics, to the old ways? And she's like, I do. Do you abandon your old life for this new one? I do. Your loyalty, your life. And as they say, they've been like stepping like closer and closer to her. And then there's like this quiet like whooshing and then there's like a loud screech and one of them puts her hands on Morgan's face and you know there's more glowing and she kind of moans or and there's sort of like burn marks on her face which is kind of like what they have like these markings on there and Thrawn's like watching the whole thing like a nosy creep it seems like that this is something that should be I don't know I, I feel like he's an outsider you know why is he experiencing this whatever witches ways you know ceremonial whatever but then the mothers like face each other and they raise a hand green swirling energies like between them and it turns into a sword the blade of Talzin ticket sister and there's this loud rumbling and and then it glows like green smoke and then the two tie fighters take off at that same time you know it has nothing to do with it but they do so it's, it's really cool imagery and everything like that Ahsoka's ship's flying very slowly over the Nazi convoy. Ezra's like making a lightsaber. He's arguing with Huang over how to make it. And Huang's kind of getting testy. I've been teaching younglings how to construct lightsabers longer than you've been alive. And Ezra's like, that's great, but I don't have a time for lessons right now. So Ahsoka, he's, he's like, you know, Ahsoka wants us to go after Thrawn as soon as we're ready. This is not something you can rush through haphazardly. And then he starts getting... Um, Huffy at how Ezra's like searching for stuff. He's just like going over. He's because he's like everything is organized, and Ezra's like, yeah, disorganized. I have a system. Who taught you to build a lightsaber, anyways? And Sabine's like, Canon Jarrus. And then Hwang's like, is that so? And Ezra's like, yeah, he was my master. Taught me everything I know. And then Hwang's like, and I taught him how to build a lightsaber. And Ezra's like, what? And he's like, of course. Now it all makes sense. And Ezra's like. How could you know him? I told you, I taught almost every youngling at the Jedi Temple, including your master. Clever boy Caleb was. Very curious. Because, you know, he changed his name. A little shy, perhaps. And Ezra's like, how old are you? Old enough to know that the relationship between a master and an apprentice is as challenging as it is meaningful. And this kind of gets Sabine thinking. You know, she's like kind of just staring off. Then Huang hands Ezra the piece that he was looking for. And he's like, that's it. And Hwang's like, I had two of those. Cannon took the one, and I the other I held onto in case he ever needed it. It is proper that you should have it. He's like, thank you, Hwang. Sabine like, almost looks sad. Then Ezra puts the piece on, lifts it, turns it on. Well done. Looks like you were a good student. And then he's like, hey, Sabine, Ahsoka ever teach you how to? And then she's gone. So he turns the lightsaber off, and he's asks Hwang, he's like, what happened between those two? What I miss? Hoang like kind of bows us a little bit. He's like, Ahsoka became afraid that Sabine was training as a Jedi for the 
wrong reasons after what happened on Mandalore. And Ezra's like, which was? At the end of the war, the Empire purged the entire surface of the planet, killing hundreds of thousands. And he's like, her family? We're all lost, sadly. At the time, Ahsoka felt that if Sabine unlocked her potential, she would become dangerous. So Sabine goes outside the ship and Ahsoka's like on top. And she's like, you must be pleased. And she's like more relieved than anything else. Ahsoka's like, your gamble paid off. So Sabine's like, so you know. And she's like, I do. So she like sighs. Um, Ahsoka slides down. And Sabine's like, I never thought I'd see him again. And Ahsoka's like, we might not have had you chosen differently. Sabine's like, I'm sorry. And she's like, I know. And she almost has like a smirk. And Sabine's like, you're not mad? Ahsoka says, over the years, I've made my share of difficult choices. Often, no one understood my reasons except my master. And she's like, Anakin? He always stood by me, even when no one else did. That's why, no matter what happens next, I'm going to be there for you. And Sabine like, kind of thinks about that, and she like, nods. Now, have you kept up with your training? She sighs. She's like, I try. And then she chuckles. She's like, I do. I do. She's like, I have gained better control over my lightsaber. And Ahsoka's like, I'll tell you a secret. Being a Jedi isn't about wielding a lightsaber. And Sabine's like, it helps, especially in our situation. Ahsoka's like, train your mind. Train your body. Trust in the Force. Then Ezra comes out with his lightsaber. He's like, hey, let's go. Just finish. And then TIE fighters are approaching. So they, they start shooting as they pass overhead. Ahsoka tells Ezra to come with her. They both jump off the ship onto the ground. Sabine runs inside to the cockpit. Then Hoang says that they've lost stabilizers. So Ahsoka and Ezra have to use the force to keep the, the ship from crushing the Nazi underneath. TIE fighters swoop over again. They're shooting. So Sabine hacks into a panel. Hoang says, he's like, you'll only get a short burst of energies that way. And she's like, more than I need. So the TIE fighters come back. She guns the ship. It goes straight at them, clips both of them, destroying them both. She's just basically like rammed into them, like hit them with the wings. And then uh, the ship comes crashing down over the hill. So Ahsoka and Ezra run to the ship. They see it smoking. And Huang's is like staring at it. You know, he's outside. Sabine walks towards him. And she kind of like walks past him, like nods to Ahsoka. She's like, got him. And then she looks down at the Nati trying to, you know, recover from a couple damaged pods and the excitement or something like that. Then Ezra says, he's like, this is going to slow us down a bit. Ahsoka's like, only if we let it. Enoch tells Thrawn that the ties have engaged. And he's like, results? He's like, a successful strike on a Jedi shuttle was reported before we lost contact with the flight group. An acceptable outcome. Consider all of the TIE fighters lost. Mark their captain for a citation. Which is like, well, what's that going to do if he's dead? Then he asks for location of the attack. And he's like, you know, assuming the Jedi ship is down, their options to prevent their departure are now severely limited, if not impossible. Which is why we shall prepare for a ground assault immediately. So they're about ready to take off, but he still wants to go after them. Which I guess makes sense. Ahsoka, Ezra, and Sabine ride a couple of howlers, that the ones that they had. So the one that uh, Sabine had and the one that Ahsoka took from Bayland. Which is like, wait, where are they? Right? Where is Bailin at? And uh, Huang is with some Nazis looking at the Jedi ship. They ride by and he's like, may the force be with you as they ride past. Morgan lies to some troopers. <laughs> She's like, the blessings and the great mothers will protect you 
in battle against the Jedi. Go now, let none pass. It's like, okay, the blessings are not going to help them. Thrawn comes and asks if, if those were the volunteers. Yes, Admiral. And he's like, they were made aware? They were. All were honored to make the sacrifice for you. He's like, it is for the Empire, the security of our galaxy. Which is like, I don't, whatever. I don't want to get into whatever his philosophies on why the Empire is so crucial. Ahsoka, Sabine, and Ezra see the ring is like getting closer, hooking up with the Star Destroyer. And she's like, uh, Sabine's like, looks like we're just in time. Ezra's like, he's taking the Star Destroyer with him? And then Ahsoka's like, Quang, how's it going? So he's sitting in, in a cockpit with some Nati. And Quang's like, I'm doing the best I can. However, I cannot promise anything. Ahsoka's like, you've kept her in the sky longer than I've been alive. And then a Nati gets like shocked from a couple of wires. Do not wait for me. And she's like, all right, Ezra, any ideas what we're up against? He's like, look, Thrawn found this place. He woke up the witches, rebuilt his starship. It wasn't safe to come here alone. Well, you're not alone anymore. Let's try the front door. Sabine finally puts on her helmet on. So I was like, okay, it's good. She didn't lose it. A droid tells Thrawn that the, the comm scan is tracking two targets coming from the north. So apparently they can track these two little howlers or whatever. Good. Rain hellfire upon them. There would be no negotiating with the apprentice of Anakin Skywalker. And that's not how Thrawn talks, but I, I can't stand him because he's a big wiener. Uh, the howlers approach the tower and then the turbo lasers start shooting down on them. They ride and they, they dodge the, bat, the, the, the blast. And Ahsoka's like, Ezra, the gate. They, they try opening with the force. And she's like, Sabine, help out. But it's like, can she help? You know, she hasn't really shown an ability to, you know, to move anything with the force. Thrawn stands like watching or waiting because I don't know if he can actually see what's going on, if they have any like visuals on them. The gate moves a little bit. It's, it's like barely cracked open. They manage to just barely pass through before it slams shut. And then Thrawn's not happy. Dispatch the night troopers. I shall inform the great mothers that it's time. Troopers fire upon them and like walk towards them. The three are standard deflecting with, you know, the laser fire with their lightsabers. A couple of uh, the troopers have been hit with ricochets. Ahsoka tells them to fall back and draw to draw them out. So Sabine gets hit in the shoulder, but you know, her armor deals, deals with it. Ahsoka tells her blasters. So she ducks a little um, and she's like firing from behind like Ahsoka and Ezra because they're continuing to deflect. So she's like shooting. Ezra moves forward, chops at some. Ahsoka, you know, does as well. They use the force to shove them back, but also like pull them forward. Like Ahsoka is like, she pulls forward and whoosh, like slashes at them. And then it looks like they're all down, but the mothers are chanting something while they face each other. Thrawn stands by again like a creep. Green smoke starts coming around the, the dead troopers. And then one's hand kind of like, like cracks for some reason. It's like, not like it got all busted up. Their eyes are glowing, even though they have helmets on. And Ahsoka like turns around and sees them moving. She's like, Ezra, has this ever happened before? He's like, no, this is new. And Sabine's like, lucky us. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta enjoy the banter between the two. It's like, you know, this, they feel like they're so familiar with each other because they kind of are, even though it's been so much time, whatever. Sabine starts shooting at some, it's not having much of an effect. Then they get um, kind of forced up some stairs. One grabs Ezra from behind, like, he tries like knocking it off. He calls Sabine. She shoots a, a, a couple behind him, but she can't get a clear shot at the one holding him because they're just moving so much. So she takes out her lightsaber and pierces the, the trooper like in the chest on like the, the left side and then whoosh, kind of swipes down to like, to like chop away, which was a great move. You know, you don't see stuff like that often. 
and then uh, kind of blocks and blasts with like some style and everything like that. And Ezra's like, nice moves. And Ahsoka's like, you have been training. And then to Ezra, she's like, um, Sabine's like, what's your excuse? And sarcastically, he's like, I've missed you. Then they continue up the stairs. So the Star Destroyer is starting to lift up off the tower. And it begins like the docking procedure. Thrawn is talking to Enoch. Morgan comes up and says that they're ready to depart. And he's like, the Jedi are advancing swiftly. At this rate, they may get aboard the ship, which would be problematic. We require a little bit more time. So she thinks and she's like, I understand. And he's like, for the Empire. And then he walks away. And then the mothers walk away with him. And then she's like, for Dathomir. So basically he's like, we need more time. So uh, guess what? You get to go and uh, kind of deal with them. And um, you might not make it back. So thanks. See you later for the Empire. The Jedi reach the top of the stairs. Or actually, no, I don't even think they're at the top. I think they might be halfway. They, the, they hear the troopers like laser cut through the doors below. Because even though they're zombies, they have the ability to laser cut stuff. Or maybe more came. I don't know. They, so they start going up the stairs. Ezra's like slashes at the control of another door you know, just to seal it shut. They come to this room and Morgan's there. And she pulls out her new fancy sword. And it's just a blade, but with green, smoky energy. So Soka tells the other two to go on. She's like, I'll handle this. And Sabine's like, we say it together, remember? And Soka's like, you must stop Thrawn. Now go. So they split up. They walk around Elsbeth, Morgan. And then uh, she and Ahsoka start like posturing, whatever, getting ready. So I guess... Morgan happens to be good at swordplay as well. I mean, it would it would be funny. It's like here's this fancy new sword, and she's like, um, I don't even know how to block with a sword, but I guess she can because then psh, 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 they start fighting. Sabine and Ezra come across a couple uh, black and arm and red armored stormtroopers, and then they a uh, block blast. They duck behind some pillars. Sabine pulls out her blasters and shoot, but their armor seems to be more enhanced than the regular ones. So it's like, why not use this? For all the troopers, unless it's like made out of a rare material, maybe, I don't know. Ezra manages to impale his dude, but it doesn't seem to do anything. And he, I guess he's already a zombie. The lightsaber gets knocked out of his hand. He rolls back from like a shove. Sabine blasts again with no effect. She tries running around the other side of the pillar. But then embarrassingly, she kind of gets like clotheslined. You know, the guy sticks out his arm and she, goes, she like runs right in, run into it. Thrawn is in the control room of like the, the ring, that's the scion, whatever, with the mothers. The droid says their course is locked in, and then he's like, take us out. Rumbling kind of distracts Ahsoka, because the ship's going to start taking off. And so it's, it kind of distracts for a second, but she still manages to block. Um, Sabine tries shooting her trooper up close, but no effect. She grabs a, uh, the trooper grabs a blaster from her. And then pulls off her helmet. And he's like kind of like snarling at her. And she delivers a couple kit, kicks and knocks the blaster out of his hand. But then he lifts her up like by the throat against a pillar. And she's like, she can't breathe. Ezra's dude picks him up, like tosses him aside. Ezra like groans from that. He ducks and he tries hitting the armored trooper, which is not a good idea. He gets he hit in the gut himself. It's again, not a good idea. <laughs> you don't, why you fight hand-to-hand fighting someone wearing armor? Sabine, she's like uh, getting choked. Her lightsaber's on ground. And it's like, okay, she starts reaching for her with the force. It's like, dude, you've had zero success. She's reaching. It actually starts moving a little bit. And then flows to her hand. So it's like, all right, Sabine, you do have the ability to use the force, which is awesome. It's so cool. And she 
turns the blade on right up against his head, impale like through his head. He's down. So that did a trick. Ezra's getting kicked back by his dude. Sabine grabs her blasters and shoots at the dude across the room. He like shrugs him off. Ezra calls his lightsaber and then whoosh, we, the camera pans around a pillar so we don't see it, but he decapitates the dude, uh, the zombie dude, whatever. So they continue on their way. They reach the top of the platform. They see the Star Destroyers. It's a decent distance away. I'm bad at estimating maybe like 50 feet away more or whatever. And Ezra's like, it's too late. Ahsoka continues fighting Morgan, which is annoying because Ahsoka's supposed to be so good. Uh, so she actually gets like knocked down. It seems kind of weird. She gets back up, of course, and then a squad of stormtroopers enter shooting. So she has to deflect the blast and she's getting driven back a little bit. You know, she's getting pushed back as she's blocking. Stormtroopers come up to the edge and look down. I think there's like two of them. They see Sabine and Ezra. They get ready to shoot, but then they, they stop because they look at the distance. They're like, well, what? They can't do anything. They can't, because uh, Ezra's like, we can't make the jump. And Sabine's like, yes, you can. And he's like, I appreciate the confidence, but she's like, no, I'll push you first and then you pull me across. So he's hesitant and she's like, Ezra, I can do this. And he, because he's probably the same thing. It's like, uh, he, I don't think he saw her necessarily with the, you know, get her, her lightsaber. So he's like, can you do this? So, you know, he has to trust her. You know, so he, he looks at the distance and the ship's moving. She's like, Ezra, the longer you hesitate, the harder this gets. She's like, come on. He's like, okay. So he goes back a little, then he runs to the gap. He jumps, it's a pretty big jump, and he gets maybe about, you know, about halfway, a little more, and Sabine reaches out her hands, and she manages to give him a shove up. He goes up, but then it looks like he falls just short of the edge. So the two troopers are like, huh? And then they, they walk towards the edge to see, they're like, oh, is he falling to the ground now? And then he's hanging on the edge, he jumps up. So he tosses one over, and the other one's about to shoot him, but then he gets shot by Sabine. And she, he's like, all right, come on, it's your turn. So she goes back, you know, to, to get some space to run. But then she sees Ahsoka fighting the stormtroopers just behind her. And Ezra's yelling, he's like, Sabine, come on. So that, and then she runs. Ahsoka's deflecting blows. Morgan comes up, manages to chop one of her lightsabers in half, which is like, come on. How is, is, because didn't, didn't uh, Ahsoka like kind of kick Morgan's butt to begin with? And that's how she got the, the, the sphere map thing? I don't know. Now, I guess she's enhanced now with all this. So she's, she's super cool and can fight better. But now that the, the troopers are just kind of watching, and Morgan, at one point she's like holding like the blade. So it's like, I guess she can touch her. I don't know, whatever. Ahsoka like flips over, Morgan kicks Ahsoka. They both like look up, they, they see the ship passing overhead. And she's like, your friends are dead and you will die here alone. And then you hear, not alone. Sabine's there. And she raises her eyebrows at Ahsoka and she strikes at a bunch of trooper. Morgan screams. Troopers start moving. Morgan and Ahsoka continue fighting. Sabine uses her lightsaber and a blaster, which is kind of cool because we don't see that. Because, you know, usually Jedi is like, you know, blasters or whatever, you know, whatever Obi-Wan said. So she's like deflecting blows with her armor too. She's kind of like using her, you know, like her wrist or back of her hand or, you know, her forearm is like a shield, which is smart. More um, fighting between Ahsoka and Morgan. Finally, Ahsoka makes Morgan's blade hit the ground. She like holds her wrist down and then spins, whoosh, slashes Morgan's midsection. And then she takes the blade and Morgan's like falls to her knees. On the ship, one of the mothers tilts her head. Morgan is dead. And as uh, Thrawn, he's like, she has done what was required. So Ezra stands watching the fight. Troopers are still coming. 
Then he hears, you know, backup is coming from one of the fallen troopers, a little, little calm. He responds, he's like, copy. He's, and he's like, well, thanks for the warning. So he has to get out of there because more stormtroopers are coming to where he's at. Troopers are still shooting. Ahsoka is like, where's Ezra? And Sabine's like, going home. And Ahsoka's like, wrist beeps. And she's like, you want to get out of here? And she's like, I'm right behind you. And she does pick up her helmet again. And they start running. In the control room, Thrawn's like, control have the main batteries target the fortress for bombardment. Open fire. Pew, 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 pew. Ahsoka and Sabine run. Troopers running after them shooting. They jump off the edge. Hwang is there in the ship. They go in. The tower gets destroyed by blaster fire, which was, okay, you didn't need to do that, Thrawn. You're an idiot. They fly up. Hwang's like diverting all power to the engine so they can catch up. The Star Destroyer's cruising. is moving pretty fast. I was like, I don't know if we've ever seen Star Destroyers move this fast. Uh, the droid tells Thrawn that they're tracking the Jedi shuttle. It's closing. And he's like, open a channel, please. So then over to Khan, Ahsoka Tano, allow me to commend you on your efforts today. You've been quite a worthy opponent. I regret we haven't met face to face. And perhaps now we never shall. Still, <laughs> and again, this is not how he talks, but this is how I'm making him talk. Still, I know you because I knew your master. I concluded your strategies would be similar. One wonders just how similar you might become. Perhaps this is where a Ronin such as you belongs. Today, victory is mine. Long live the Empire. So then they jump to light speed, and then whoosh, the blast kind of like sends them like shock. So they're gone. Back on a planet, Sabine and Ahsoka, they ride the howlers back to the Nati as Wing flies a ship, and the Nati are happy to see them, but they're stuck there. They have absolutely no way of getting back home. Shin rides up to the raider's campsite and she holds up her lightsaber and ignites it. Because at first I was like, is Shin going to go to the Nadi? Is she going to realize that, okay, maybe I sh shouldn't be evil? But she goes to the raiders. Balan is sitting by a cliffside and there's like, so there's like some figures carved into the mountainside. It's like, did he do that? It's like, where did these come from? I'm like so confused what, what that was supposed to be. And maybe it, it's supposed to be obvious, but I don't know. Star Destroyer approaches Dathomir. Thrawn stands next to the mothers. A shuttle enters uh, a rebel ship. And then Hera, Chopper, and some others are there to greet it. And then the stern trooper comes out. Everyone raises her gun. And a trooper, he like raises his hand. Chopper rolls up to him. And then the trooper, the stern trooper puts his hand on him. And then he removes his helmet. And we see it's Ezra. So it's like, wait, how did he manage to take a shuttle fly off the Star Destroyer and get to them. And so this means Thrawn's like somewhere nearby, like if it was within shuttle flying distance. Hera just like stares at him and she's like, Ezra? And he's like, hi, Hera, I'm home. And he just like walks up to her. We didn't see him hug or anything like that. Then back uh, at the other place, that's night at the Nadi camp, Sabine sees Ahsoka kind of like staring off, walks up to her and she's like, we're almost packed. And Ahsoka's like, you did well. And she's like, did I? Thrawn got away. And thanks to you, Ezra got home. And Sabine's like, I hope. He did. Ezra is where he needs to be. And so are we. It's time to move on. And Ahsoka heads, starts heading back to the camp. But then um, Sabine stirs off now. And she's like, what is it? And Sabine's like, I felt like nothing. Just you know, shadows in the starlight. And Ahsoka looks and then turns towards the camp. And we see there's Anakin Force Ghost watching. And it's almost like he has a little smile. Like, hey, creepy Anakin, what are you watching? Peeping Tom. <laughs> and that's where it ends. 
So now the question is, is one, are we going to get a season two? Because if we don't, you know, this means Ahsoka, Sabine, Huang are trapped in this other galaxy. You know, they're so far away. They have no way. They don't have the hyperdrive capability to get back. So that could explain how come we haven't seen Ahsoka or Sabine or any of the others. You know, there's been no mention of them in the rise of, you know, the, the end of the Skywalker trilogy, you know, the last one or whatever you want to call it. But hopefully we'll, we'll see them. Because, I mean, there's still, you know, years, decades, you know, in, in between there. But hopefully we'll get a second season because, you know, something has, Thrawn has to be stopped somehow. And the important thing is hopefully that that stupid senator dude gets it thrown in his face that, yeah, guess what? Thrawn was a threat, you big idiot. You should have listened. So that was Ahsoka. So good. Okay, then we have Loki season two, episode one, Burrows. So with Loki season one, I liked, I liked the first season. I didn't love it. It was almost like kind of hit or miss. I mean, there's some interesting things. You know, so I feel like some episodes were a little better than others. And, you know, because like the whole Loki and, and Sylvie thing, eh, you know, it, it's, it, I don't know. I, I could like take it or leave it at, at times. But this episode, I, I did enjoy this episode. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't feel like a whole lot happens because they're, they're dealing with the main problem here. But I'm I'm really curious where this is going. I'm I'm also I'm I'm really fascinated with this whole you know he who remains you know what's going to happen with Kang and what does it mean about the timelines and the whole TVA thing. So I I'm really dig I really enjoyed this 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 episode. So it starts off um, there's a a shot of the you know he who remains statue Loki he's running Mobius and agents are like chasing him and then he gets cut off and surrounded and then he turns to Mobius he's like it's me. And Moby's like, I don't know you. And then agents, like, they get their stun batons. They're pruning things ready. Loki runs again, jumps over this railing, and manages to fall in the back of, like, a flying pickup truck. And then the driver kind of looks back at him and then accidentally smashes into, like, the cheek of the statue. It's Casey, the dude that Loki gave the Tesseract to in the first episode, like, he's, like, waxing a floor or something like that. When the truck kind of partially smashes through a window and, and Loki... You know, it's just like kind of hanging in the window. Loki kind of rolls off, off the back onto the floor. He gets up and he gives like like a wave to the there's other people in the room, and he's like, "I'm fine." And then then the truck like falls out the window and it goes down, and you hear like a thud. And he he he's like, uh, "She'll be fine." Then Loki sees Casey and he says his name, and then Casey's like, "Have we met each other?" He's like, "Casey, help me." It's like, "Please tell me you know what's going on. Don't you remember me?" And then Casey talks in the commuter. He's like, I got him. I got the intruder. Then Loki kind of glitches out. It's like very violent. It's like almost like he's like being split in two or three. And he ends up in a different room. And Casey's like, Loki? And then Loki's like, you remember me, Casey? It's like something terrible is happening. Then Loki sees like the same crack in the floor from like when the truck came in. And he's like, has that always been there? And Casey's like, the crack? He's like, "Uh, it's been there as long as I can remember. And then Loki whispers, like, I was in the past. Then he's like, where's Mobius? B-15. And Casey's like, probably in Chrono Bay 3. Then Loki glitches out again and disappears. And Casey's like, what? Mobius in B-15. So she's the one agent that, you know, that was like with them that we've seen the most of. 
Um, they're looking at like the timeline branches, Mobius. He's like, now what? And she's like, now the branches keep on growing. And we tell the people at TVA the truth about this place. He's like, you think people are going to be ready to hear that? And she's like, people have lives on the, the timeline, Mobius. He's like, yes, I know. And she's like, they should have the chance to live those lives. He's like, think about it. Hey, everything you've been doing is wrong and all your gods are dead. How are people going to take that? And she's like, well, we have to give it a shot. Then Casey walks up. He's like, hey, Mobius, Loki was just here looking for you. And he's like, Loki's here? And he's like, he was, and then he disappeared. And he's like, I don't understand. And he's like, he disappeared right in front of me. And then he's like, maybe Miss Minutes can locate him. He, he tries, but his device isn't working. And then Hunter X5, this dude comes in and says that he has a question. Do you have a, a question? We don't see you down here, you know, too often. X5 holds up like a magazine or something. He's like, this one here, is this on the sacred timeline? You know, jet skis, sea dews. And he kind of chuckles. He's like, is one of these calling your name or something like that? And then Mobius is like, well, I don't know about calling. Maybe gently whisper it. Mobius, come take us for a spin. And then he's like talking about jet skis or something like that. And then he's like, Mobius, Mobius, I don't care. And he's like, then why'd you ask? He's like, well, with Renslayer missing, there new, there's a new judges council. So General Dox and Judge Gamble would like you both in the war room. And he's like, I wonder what that's about, huh? So they go to the elevator. Then Loki glitches and appears in front of Casey. And he's like, where's Mobius? And Casey tells him the, the war room. So Mobius and B-15 walk in the hall. And, uh, you know, B-15's question that they're answering the judges now. It's like, you know, what, what is going on here? Loki calls Mobius and then flickers out again. And Mobius, I don't know if he just didn't hear it. He's like, he kind of doesn't even acknowledge that. He says that they'll tell him the truth, but, you know, ease them into it. And then the power flickers and then it kind of goes dark. They, they keep walking. They get to the war room door. And then, you know, dude tells Mobius that he's like, I was just doing my job. And he's like, you mean pruning me? He's like, yeah, well, I guess you were just following orders. It's actually Renslayer who really owes me an apology. And B-15's like, what's the mood in there? And the dude just like walks away. Loki appears in the hallway. He opens the door to a war room, but it's empty. And on the wall, there's like five huge faces of he who remains carved in like brass or something like that. So, you know, Jonathan Majors. But then in the other war room, so Loki, he must be... Is he in another dimension, another timeline? Is he in the past or future? Because in the regular war room, there's it's like a kind of like a painting, like tapestry of the, like the fake timekeepers, and you know there's a few people listening to a tape. Loki is yelling, "You're all variants! Everyone who works at the TVA, the timekeepers didn't create you. They kidnapped you from a timeline and erased your memories." And Mobius and B15 walk in just then. And look, the tape continues. Memories she can access through enchantment. So before this, you had a past. Maybe you had a family, a life. This other um, judge stops the tape and says the branches are growing. You know, they're way past the red line. Then it's like, and you put out an order to stop pruning? So B-15 says that you know, they just need a moment to explain. This other judge gets snappy, tells her to speak into the microphone. Because, you know, they're doing this by the book and on the record. So B-15 repeats herself. And, you know, Loki is still in the other room. He's looking at the tape recorder. He rewinds it. And then um, you hear, you are quite a marvel. I will be proud to lead with you. You made a difference in this war. Thank you for being on my team. And he fast forwards it a little bit. 
it actually, I was like, wait, is he fast forwarding or is he rewinding it? And then you hear, for us, for all time. And then Renslayer is like, she just says, always. And then you hear, it's a, he who remains is like speaking. Then he's like, Ravona Renslayer, you are quite a marvel. I will be proud to lead with you. And so Loki obviously rewound the tape a little. So this judge asks, under whose authority did they make the call to stop pruning branches? And B-15 says that they didn't have time for proper protocol. And they're like, she's like, don't you understand? We're all variants. This older judge, or was it a general? There's a general. No, it was this judge. She says that another agent testified that they were, they went to the timeline and saw Renslayer's variant. And then, you know, that would certainly corroborate what B-15 is saying. And she's like, that's right. Renslayer had a life on a timeline. And X-5's like, on the record, you know, 15 or whatever. And she's like, to hell with the record. You know, you had a life on a timeline. And so did you. And you, you know, so did I. And then uh, Moby's like, look, we get the concerns because we had them also. But let's also admit that the timeline is branching. The sky hasn't fallen word. And then... uh, they're like, what sky are you looking at? Are you seeing this robot head on the table? The sky is falling, Mobius. This changes everything. And then uh, this general, or she's like, I see like Irish or something like that, General Docs. She, she says, this changes nothing. Uh, we won't let the timeline branch. I'm sorry, Hunter. We don't prote- if we don't protect it, what on earth are you suggesting? b 15s like, protect? Is that what you think we we're doing? With all due respect, ma'am, we haven't been protecting. We've been destroying. There are people with lives on those branches, and we have committed atrocities every time we prune. And General Drox is like, atrocities? And she's like, yes. And take caution with your tone. Call it whatever you want, but we have to take a moment to understand what is, and we don't have a moment. And then this judge is like, you've made your position clear. So, and then B-15 is like, so we don't have time for protocol now? She's like, and you've made your position clear, Hunter, all my life. I've always handed down the same verdict, guilty. The timekeepers deemed it so. B-15 is like, ma'am, I know how hard it is to turn your back on everything you believed in, but the TVA has to change and has to start now. We can't go back to pruning those branches. And the judge is like, I can do anything, anything, and like hits a, a button. Tell the TVA to stop pruning, effective immediately. Then Loki appears, it's like a violent sneeze or something like that. He's like next to the judge. Mobius calls out to him, to, and Loki's excited because he actually knows him. So then Hunter X5 takes out his baton, but B15 tells him to put it down. Loki's freaking out. He's like, you know, just a moment ago, he's like, you know, you didn't know me. And then the judge yells for everyone to stand down. There's this, <laughs> there was this other judge that was like sleeping through this whole thing. And at, at this, when the judge yelled, it kind of like makes him stir a little bit. So Loki tells Mobius, he's like, we found him. And he's like, who? He's like, him. So Loki's um, confused, cause, you know, because he's like him. He points to the wall, the war room wall, but the faces aren't there. So he manages, he takes the baton out of X5's hands and he's, you know, he gets all huffy or whatever. And then, you know, he forces him back. He holds it. And then he takes the baton, zaps it into the wall, and then the mural starts dissolving and it reveals the he who remains faces. And he yells, he's like, that's who built this place. That's who stole your lives. That's who's coming back. And Mobius tries to like, calm down, whatever. And he tells him, he's like, put the baton down. And then, you know, he's like, Loki says that Sylvie was going to kill him. And a judge like, where is she? And Loki's like, I don't know. She kicked me through a time door. So Mobius takes him out of the room. X5 takes his baton back. And the general puts her head against his, which seemed weird. And she's like, 
The timekeepers are fake, but their warnings were real. Seems pretty straightforward to me. We need to know what happened at the end of time. Find Sylvie. She's the reason we're in this mess. Which, uh, that makes no sense. It's, it's not... Sylvie did, has nothing to do with fake timekeepers and them being taken out of their lives, whatever. B-15 just gives a general strange look. It's like, what are you talking about? So Loki asks, you know, who is she, you know, general, and what does she want with Sylvie? And Moby's like, you know, that's General Dox. He's like, don't worry about it. Then he asks Loki, he's like, are you okay? He's like, what happened with the cloud monster? And he's like, Aliath, what was the the thing's name? And Loki's like, he was a distraction, a guard dog. We We found him, a citadel at the end of time. And he's like, but where's Sylvie? He's like, I don't know. She was still there. It was an impossible choice, but she seemed so certain. And Moby's like, it's okay, you know, just take time to think. He's like, Mobius, when we got to the man at the end of time, and he made sense. We thought it was about freeing the timeline, but that brings only more malevolence, more violence, more war, more of him. He's like, they're coming. They're all coming. He's like, you know, he's like, you came to kill a devil. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. She was convinced he was. We fought, and then she kicked me through a time door. I actively tried not to fight because... You know, he says that they, they both won. And <laughs> Moby's like, wait, so did you kick each other through time doors simultaneously? And he's like, no, I, you know, I wasn't fighting her 100% is basically what he's trying to say. He's like, you know, if I only had more time. And Moby's like, coulda, woulda, shoulda. He's like, you know, focus on what we know. And he's like, that. He points to the tapestry that looks like a dozen kings, like attacking or half a dozen. He's like, that is what we know. War. And it's on its way. Maybe it's true. Everything he was doing, the pruning, the preservations of the sacred timeline, it was about preventing more of him. There wasn't a simple choice, no other way. And Moby's like, and that's who you showed us in there? You know, and Loki's like, he who remains. You know, this is his kingdom. He said that he keeps us safe, but how can you believe that? He built this place. And Moby's like, no, how could I not remember that? How could I, you know, how could he? He's like, because he wiped your memories. He obviously did it more than once. He's like, they, you know, they have to listen to us. And he's like, hey, believe me, they listen to you, okay? We heard you loud and clear. You have to explain to me exactly how did you just appear there? You know, did you come straight from the end of time? And Loki's like, no, I was in the past. And Moby's like, what do you mean in the past? Where? He's like, here, the past TVA. And Moby's like, there, no, there is no past TVA. Time doesn't work like that here. And Loki's like, it does. It's happening to me. That's impossible. It's possible. No, it's not. And Loki glitches away. Then he comes back after a couple seconds. He's like, did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. Uh, How did it look? It looked bad. How do you feel? And Loki's like, it's not that bad. He's like, really? I mean, it looked, I I guess it doesn't look that bad, but we definitely got to get you help. Let me call Miss Minutes. He's like, no, you can't trust her. He's like, what? Are you sure? And Loki's like, pretty sure she was there with him at the end of time. He's like, no, we got to get you checked out. Swing by repair and advancement. And Loki's like, we should be dealing with the bigger problem here. He who remains. And Moby's like, I understand. And we'll get to that. In order to do that, I need a Loki who remains. They get in an elevator. He's like, we need to address the fact that you keep disappearing. He's like, what? I don't keep disappearing. We don't have time. And then he's back a second later. You just disappeared. I know. I, I can't keep looking at it because it's horrible. And Loki's like, what? I thought you said it didn't look that bad. He's like, I was lying. It's terrible. Looks like you're you're being born or dying or both at the same time. It's freaking me out. He's like, I, 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 it looks painful. Loki's like, it's, it's not bad. It's like, I can handle it. 
They exit the elevator. Mobius asks if Sylvie kicked him through the time door somehow, started all this. And he's like, Loki's like, all I know is I was in the past. It was he who remains temp pad. Maybe that's how it was possible. He's like, wait, that's who you said has had my memory wiped? Yes, he who remains. He's like, is, is that what you're calling him or is that his name? That's how he was, you know, he's introduced. And Mobius like, that's arrogant. It's like calling yourself last man standing. And Loki's like, it is arrogant if you can back it up. Well, can he back it up? Yeah, that's scary. And he's like, imagine a million of them. I'd rather not. So they, they get into another elevator and Mobius says it's a little off the, the beaten path. He says that, you know, he has no memory of his memory being wiped, which isn't that kind of the point. Then they're walking, like now at this level, the hallways are pretty messy. There's like stuff all over, like in cabinets and stuff like that. And he says, it's been a while since he's been down here. He's like, actually, I'm not sure I've ever been down here. And then it almost looks like it's a strange like junk shop or whatever shop. You know, there's like all this stuff like everywhere in shelves. And then this guy jumps down or just kind of drops down in a harness and it's Ki, Ki Hu Kwan. And he's like, oh, hey, w- welcome to RNA. And Mobius says that he's like, we have a bit of a situation wanted to run by you. He's like, Mobius, wow, great to see you again. And he's like, uh, good to see you too. Yeah, I, uh, Loki, I want to introduce you to, and he's like, I am Ouroboros, which is the name of the episode. It's like, nice to see you, Loki. They shake hands. And Mobius is like, Ouroboros, you know, like, like he knew it. And then Ouroboros is like, he calls me OB. And he's like, yeah, I call him OB. That's, that's a nickname I have. Yeah. And then OB is like, wow, how long has it been? And he's like, uh, could it be three or four, 400 years? And Loki's like, what? And Mobius, Mobius is totally lying. He's like, feels like a thousand, right? And Obi's like, yeah, remember you got off on the wrong floor and I told you it was the wrong floor? He's like, wait, that's right. Yes, because I said, you know, I stayed for, for a little bit. You know, t- he took me over. He's like, no, you left immediately. And Mobius like, well, I'm back. <laughs> so it's like, what, what's the point of lying so much? And he's like, yes, you are. Believe it or not, you, you know, you were my last visitor. And Loki's like, wow, reunited, 400 years. And then he's like, <laughs> he's like, how are the other guys doing? And Obi's like, what other guys? And Loki's like, what other guys? And he's like, it's just Obi. You know, sometime, you know, or then at that moment, it's like something drops down a chute, like into a can, and Obi goes to it. And he says that the work orders really pile up if he takes a break, so he just keeps at it forever. He's like, no sleep. So he's like hammering on, on something, whatever. And then uh, he puts it in it, like a tube that it dropped in and then it gets like sucked back up, like the chute. So Mobius is like, he says they just have a quick question for him. And Obi asks, he's like, how are things upstairs? And Mobius starts saying, he's like, well, you know about the timekeepers? And then Loki glitches out. He's like, that, that's what's been happening. And Obi's like, wow, time slipping. And Mobius like, what, what, time? you know that? He's like, yeah, you've seen that? Yeah. Can you fix that? No, it's impossible to time slip in the TVA. And Moby's like, I know, but we just saw it happen. And he's like, yeah, I'm having trouble reconciling that. Then Obi's like hammering on something. He's like, wait, what? And then Loki appears. He's like, Ouroboros, uh, may I call you Obi? And he's like, Obi, I like that. Uh, do I know you? And Loki's like, yes, in the future. Well, it's your future, my present. It's complicated. I've been pulled through different times in the TVA. 
And he's like, time slipping? That, I've been time slipping in a TVA. It's impossible to time slip in a TVA, but you just saw it happen. Yeah, I'm having trouble reconciling that. So he just said the same thing again. In the present, he's like, looks like your friend was time slipping, but it must be something else. I've never seen anything close to that happen before. Wait, no, there was one time that guy that was here, what was his name? And Moby's like, Loki. Yeah, a long time ago, he came to me complaining about time slipping. How did I not remember that? And Moby's like, wait, is he talking to you in the past and you're just now remembering it? And Obi's like, wow, that makes perfect sense. There's no flaw in that logic. I guess time slipping is possible in a TVA. And Moby's like, yes, you remember? What did you, what did you tell him? I told him, and then it cuts to the past, that's impossible. And Loki's like, that's not impossible because I was just with you in the future. And he's like, hmm, I think I would remember that. <laughs> he's like, yes, but it hasn't happened to you yet. Do you see? And he's like, good point. Uh, it would be convenient if we were having this conversation in the future and this were to pass. And Loki's like, we were. This is the, he's like, oh, never mind. Look, for the sake of argument, let's just say if it were possible to time slip in the TVA, how might one, it's not. I understand that. But theoretically, if it were possible, how might one remedy that? Well, first off, someone in the time that you want to end up in would need a temporal aura extractor. And in the present, Obi's like, do you have one of those? And Obi's like, I do not. Loki's like kind of hammering on a counter in the past. He stamps some papers and then Obi's like, ah, I got it. So he's building this really big device, one temporal aura extractor. And Loki's like, great, can you hold on to that until my friend Mobius drops by in the present? Then he's like, no, wait, yes, I actually do have an extractor here because he just built it. <laughs> he picks it up. It's like right next to him. One temporal aura extractor. And Mobius like, and did you happen to discuss how to use such a thing with my friend? And he's like, you need to get to the temporal loom so the extractor can pull Loki directly out of the time stream. He's like, wait. So I need to go to the temporal loom so the extractor can pull Loki out of the time stream? This is what he said. He's like, but it could be dangerous. And Moby's like, how dangerous? Oh, not too bad if, if you're quick about it. If you spend too long in it, that kind of temporal energy will peel your skin right off. He's like, wait, I thought you said not too bad. Now you're talking about my skin getting peeled off? I was like, oh, oh no, not too bad compared to what Loki has to do. And he's like, what does Loki have to do? And then Loki's like, violently rip myself from every thread of time and space all at once. And Obi's like, that means prune yourself. And Loki's like, why? Well, when something is pruned, it's released from time. So the hope is that after you prune yourself, the extractor will pull you into the present. He's like, of course. Yeah. Um, and if it doesn't do that? Well, you heard about how if you fall into a black hole, you get turned into spaghetti. And Loki's like, no. Good. The less you know about that, the better. And Loki he runs away. And then he like slams into Mobius in the present. And Mobius like, damn it. And then Loki, he's like, or Mobius like, hey, Loki's back. I guess you two are ready to go. And Mobius like, wait, hold it. I, I am ready to get, am I ready to get my skin peeled off? He's like, I don't know. And Loki's like, yeah, am I ready to rip myself from every thread of time? And then Mobius like, I'd rather have that. Loki's like, so I love this kind of banter, and I know some people are going to hate it. But Loki's like, you'd rather be disassembled and never reassembled? And Moe's like, then to have your skin ripped off? And Loki's like, at least you get to live. Live? What's the quality of life with no skin? And Loki's like, there has to be another way. Then Obi holds out a baton, 
and he notices like a light flickering and he's like huh been, been doing that all day and moby's like no it's not the lamp we're having power surges all through the tva he's like what did you say they leave the room so they're walking and he's like so the timeline is branch branching now i bet that's what's causing the power surges and maybe you're time slipping loki's like really how and b15 comes in she's like things are a mess upstairs you know this better be important and moby says it is uh obi's like the branching is overloading the temporal loom and loki's like temporal loom and obi's like you know the temporal loom it's in a tva guidebook and he's like the what there's one on every desk in a tva it's a detailed index of every mechanical classification and maintenance routine in each sector on each device and inside every computer program at the tva i wrote it myself mobius mentions that you know a, a, he's like hey this piece came off he's like is this important which I would think it is. Then they reach this big red door. And I was confused by this part because you hear this machine rumbling. There's even like the big warning printed on the floor about temporal radiation levels growing exponentially behind that point or something like that. Then it's like close up of the door. The door opens. The door is red, but then it's like white on the inside and they come in. And the warning is like not on the ground anymore. So it's like, I don't know what happened there. So then Obi is like, the temporal loom is the heart of the TVA. It's where raw time is refined into physical timeline. And you see like this big window. It's like really bright out there. And he's like, it's not constructed to weave together so many new branches. So it's overloading. I've never seen it like this. Loki's like, it looks like a disaster. It didn't look that bad to me. But he's like, it is a disaster. Mobius says that, it has, he's like, do you get down here much? And Obi says that, you know, he didn't have to because Miss Minutes took care of everything. You know, he's, he just runs diagnostic every few hundred years. So Loki asks, he's like, well, what do we do? You know, how do they stop the meltdown? Obi says that they need to prune those extra branches. B-15 says that, that means the death of countless people. He's like, they can't do that. And Obi says, like, then I'll need to close the blast doors to protect the TVA while I figure out how to retrofit and, it to handle all those branches. And Loki's like, what about the time slipping? And he's like, well, once the door is closed, we won't be able to resync you. So it's uh, now or never. What? Then he flips the baton. Uh, he, then he says, you know, he's so he's about to prune himself. He's like, now. He's like, wait, wait. It's it's now, but now isn't for a little bit. We we still got to get Mobius into position. So he'll have to go out there, use extractor, which will pull Loki from the time stream before he needs to close the blast doors. So he has a time, timer for Loki, which is synced to the loom, and he'll be ready to, hit, to prune himself within moments after it turns green. If he's too late, he'll be lost to time forever, and Mobius will lose all his skin. <laughs> and Mobius, he's just like, every time he hears it, he actually, there's like on a side of computers, like kind of dusty, he wrote skin on there. So they've got about an hour, and then there's a blast from outside, hits the window, and like kind of cracks it. Uh, you got five minutes. <laughs> Then Hunter D90, this other dude, I thought it was X5, but I guess it's someone else. He says that Dox and her crew are raiding the armory. And Loki says that they're going after Sylvie. And so he he's like, wants to go out there to, to help her, save her. And Moe's like, what are you doing? He's like, you know, he's, he's like, we got one shot at this. And B15's like, I'll handle Dox. And Loki, you know, starts telling Mobius that, you know, he, if he doesn't make it back. And he's like, no, you won't. And then he glitches out. He appears in the same room, but it's the future because you can see skin is still written on the side of the computer in the dust. And, you know, Loki sees that. Then he he's still holding the, the timer, but not the, the time stick. So that, like, fell out of his hands for some reason. 
Obi has Mobius in this big space suit, this big, like, clunky suit. He's like, how's he even moving that? He says that once he goes out, the temporal radiation will start aging away to suit. So he has to run down this, like, big walkway, lock the device in, and then hoof it back the moment he tells him to. And he's like, how the hell am I going to hoof it in this? He's like, you've got to. Or what? Or the blast doors will close and lock you out. Then your suit will age away and you will age away. You'll get very old and all your skin will get peeled away and you will die. And he sees like, he's like, is this a crack in the helmet? And he's like, is this crack? And Obi's like, he just takes some duct tape, puts it over the crack. He's like, okay, you're ready. The door is open. He starts walking out. He's like getting hit by like energy. It's, it's a long walkway. Loki's running through the halls. It's a chaos. There's like, some people, not a lot, but there's a few people running around. So I don't know. It's like, what's he doing? Is he looking for a baton? It's like, wait, dude, you got to get ready. Mobius get, locks the device into place. His suit is like taking a beating, but it's still okay. Loki's still going around. Uh, he, he still has, a, you know, the, the timer. He, he still has time according to timers. You know, it hasn't changed yet. It's uh, still red. Then uh, the device shoots out something. At first I thought it was like an energy beam, but I don't know if it's like it was like a... a a rope or hook i don't know loki's timer then goes goes green and he, he still doesn't have a time stick so obi tells morbius mobius not morbius tells mobius that he has to close the blast doors now in, in order to have any hope of fixing the loom but mobius is like well, we got to give loki more time he can still make it obi like opens a cover to this big red button he's like he has 30 seconds so loki is just calmly walking down this hall and then there's like a phone ringing. There's a phone by an elevator. So it's just like, dude, what are you, why are you just walking around? And then it gets to the point where Obi's like counting down. Five, four, three. I'm always like, no, not yet. And he's like, sorry. Pushes the button. Alarm goes off. The clock's on. Mobius, you know, turns to the door. And Obi's like, Mobius, listen to me. There's nothing you can do for him. He's lost the time. He grunts, starts like walking back or trying to trudge back. And to, to himself, Obi's like, he's not going to make it. Loki's still standing by the phone, by the elevator. Then the elevator door starts like being pried open, and it's Sylvie. And she's like, there you are. Loki starts, um, all of a sudden he starts disappearing, like getting pruned. But that's like, wait, how did that happen? Is it because he's lost the time now? So I wasn't really quite clear what happened there. Mobius is like struggling to walk. And then he turns and sees like the tether, whatever thing is like moving. And then... Bam, he gets hit by Loki. They get like shoved inside and Loki's like, we need to find Sylvie. Soldiers are carrying these big duffel bags, probably like ammo or whatever, if they went to the armory. B-15's like, where are they going? They're like walking through a time door and she's like, all this for Sylvie? And in D-90, he's like, I don't buy it. And then that's where it ends. But there's mid-credit scene. We see a time door open in the field. It's 1982. And then on the screen is like branch timeline, Broxton, Oklahoma. So 1982. Sylvie steps out and she walks into a McDonald's because, you know, there is a sponsor thing going on. She goes to the counter. She's like, how do I do this? And the, 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 the guy working there is like, what would you like? And she's like, not squirrel, not possum, not rat. Something that's already dead and nothing with a face, please. He's like, well, we have chicken McNuggets. We have a Big Mac, a filet of fish and she turns around, starts looking at people sitting at the tables and everything. And the guy's still talking. He's like, well, I, I like the quarter pounder, which you can try with or without cheese. And then she you know, sees the other table, like young people just hanging out and everything. She's like, I want to try everything. And he's like, uh, okay. 
And that is the end. Uh, don't know, so because we saw that little clip where Sylvie's actually working at the McDonald's. <laughs> no idea what's going on. But I'm I'm so fascinated by all this time stuff and yeah. So that was the first episode. I, I really enjoyed that. Alright, and now <laughs> it is time for the movie feature, The Exorcist Believer. I don't like that title. It just seems like weird, but whatever, that's what it is. So According, so I forget what it was when I saw it. I thought it was a 27%. Rotten Tomatoes, we'll just start with this. Rotten Tomatoes is at a 23%. The audience score is 56%. Okay. IMDb apparently is 5.2 out of 10. And um, I saw what I saw on uh, Google, maybe it's a 3.5 out of 5. So they're, they're kind of all over the place. I don't think it's a 22%. So as, as I watch this, and I'll get into like what it's about, it was um, it, it, it was kind of interesting because if you watch this trailer, it does seem kind of interesting. You know, there's, there's just some, I, I don't know, I, I was a little intrigued w- with it. And I really liked like the first act of the movie, it, the way it sets this up. Unfortunately, when it gets down to it, is it, it starts to become, it starts to feel like, we, how many friggin' exorcism movies have we seen? There's been so many. There's like even this one movie, I can't even remember what it's called. I just remember there was like this, someone possessed in an attic and the, the you know, priest is there and he gets killed. And I don't remember what that was. Uh, and then, you know, I, I just recently saw the, the Pope's exorcism, the Russell Crowe movie. And, you know, so we, we've seen this time and time again. But this movie does do things a little different. So we'll, we'll kind of get that. So I, I think there are, there, you know, there's some okay parts to this. I also feel like the movie, it's, it's not that it's trying too hard, but sometimes you kind of feel like maybe it is trying a little too hard. All right, so let's just kind of, um, I don't think this is going to be a super long discussion because, you know, I'm not going to spoil the whole movie and... You know, there's only so much good I can say. <laughs> so it, it starts off in Haiti. Uh, there's this photographer dude and his his wife. She's pregnant. And, you know, he's taking a bunch of pictures or anything like that. And then they kind of split up because he, he they go to a church and they're looking at it. And then he wants to go up in the bell tower. But she's like, I dude, I'm tired or whatever. She ends up, or maybe, I don't remember, maybe it was... Now, this must have happened before, but she, she gets a blessing from like a voodoo um, priest or something like that. But then they're, they're split up. I think she goes back to the hotel and then there's like this huge, huge earthquake. Little thing that bothers me is he comes running up. It's like, wait, where, where'd your camera go, dude? Because I don't, didn't see it. I don't know. Maybe whatever. Maybe I just didn't see it. And it's, it's a crazy earthquake. So she's like trying to get down, uh, you know, out of the, the hotel. She's kind of stuck in there. So what it comes down to, and I feel like I'm saying too much about this already, when they, he, he gets in there, finds her, and you know, she's hanging on, and the, the doctor's like, you have to choose one or the other. You know, it's either your, the wife or, or your, your child. Because your, I think they knew it was, was going to be a girl. So then it cuts to 13 years later, and it's just the two of them. You know, it's, it's this dad, this dude, Victor, and his daughter. And you know, he, 
he doesn't like believe in God. You know, he lost his faith, you know, after what happened and all that. So it's just the two of them. And he's like, he's kind of overprotective because it is just the two of them. And because, you know, he drives her to school, you know, there's a whole thing in the morning, this ritual, you know, getting her ready and blah, blah, blah. But you see, they have a good relationship. You know, they're, they're pretty close. But then when they're going to school, you know, she wants to hang out with a friend after school. And he's like, well, I was thinking that, you know, you'd, you'd come to the studio because he's a photographer. So and you know, work on your homework there. But she's like she wants to have friends, too, and everything like that. So then he's he's finally like, OK, he's like, but home by dinner, you know, dinner. He's like very adamant about that. School, go, you know, we see stuff in school. We see her with a friend and everything after school. They end up walking off. They go into the woods. So the idea is, and I don't know who's, I don't remember whose idea. I feel like it was her friend's idea because her, her friend is like more religious because they go to church. And there was something about wanting to talk to the the girls. Um, what was her name? Angela. Um they want to talk to Angela's mom or she wants to talk to her. So they, they start doing, you know, light some candles and blah, blah, do some stuff like that. But then, uh, Victor comes home. Angela's not home yet. Cause he's like, you know, he looks, looks around and calls out to her, looks in her room and then it gets more and more. She's not there. So what ends up happening? And, and, and this is like in the trailer, you know, they, they, they do the search and, you know, he, he, she was supposed to go to her friend's house after school. And the friend's like, no, they, they were going to this other friend's house. And the other friend's like, they didn't come over. I saw them after school. They were walking off. And and so their their whole thing is missing, you know, missing signs. Where are they at? People searching through the woods and everything. And then they're found three days later, like 30 miles away. And they, you know, they get checked out. They go to hospital procedures, even check, you know, were they raped? You know, because is it like trauma? Because, oh, because the thing is, they're, when Victor comes into the room and the, the, the nurse or the doctor is like, Tell, tell your father how long you're gone. She's like, why do you keep asking me? Why do you keep making, why do you want me to say that? And she's like, it was just like a few hours. And then Victor's like, it's like, baby, he's like, you've been gone for three days. So they have no memory of this. So again, they do like full, you know, checkup and, you know, they're thinking, you know, sometimes there could be heavy trauma, make them forget, you know, stuff like that, but you know, everything's fine or whatever. So, you know, things just, continue, they're, they're, they're possessed. Things are getting worse. And, you know, it's like, what do you do and everything like that? And to tie it into, it's like, well, how does this, what does this have to do with the exorcist with the original movies? Cause it's not a reboot. It's um, basically Victor is like, you know, trying to do research and stuff like that. He kind of goes on the YouTube rabbit hole and he's, he finds out about this woman, uh, Chris McCall or Chris McNeil, who was uh, the mother was Ray, Regan, Regan's mother and the first in the, the, the exorcist. So, I think this movie is kind of going, because I don't remember what happened in the second and the third one, but I think this is mainly going that the first one happened. And so apparently after the whole exorcism in 1973 or something like that, um, the mom, Chris, you know, she starts doing all this, this research on exorcism and different cultures and all this stuff like that. And she becomes like, you know, she writes a book and she's like, we're popular. And then a show after this, like her and, and Reagan kind of like, separate you know she's like i don't want anything to do with you type of thing so it's like she hasn't seen her daughter she's and at one point she's like i don't even know if she's alive you know because i haven't heard from her but the sort of actress playing chris it's the same i'm pretty sure it's the same actress that played the mom so you know that that was your connection there but now here's the thing so um she doesn't have like a huge role in the movie but you know she she does have some you know a, a part in it 
And I, I feel like sometimes when she's talking, it's like she's almost trying to be like this expert. You know, some of the dialogue is just like a little, that's not really cheesy, but it's almost a little too, too scripted. And I feel like she's trying to be like, um, kind of like the, the old, the, the lady in uh, the, um, what, what is those other movies called? The Insidious, that's it. Uh, you know, it's, it's and I, I kind of got like vibes off of the characters, like just even the way they talk and everything. And, you know, supposed to be this expert and knowledgeable and whatever. And it just felt like almost like they're trying to do like too much of that, even though it wasn't. And and then um, there, there's another character. So uh, Victor's neighbor is a nurse. And at first, you know, there's there's some some bitterness between them because like he wouldn't take his garbage cans up or you know whatever because the daughter was supposed to take and they're supposed to take turns blah 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 but you you find out that the nurse actually once upon a time was going to become a nun but then she ended up not doing that but you know she's still very knowledgeable and she was like almost like right up to the point of, of that and she has a lot, you know, she makes a lot of statements or not necessarily almost like she's making speeches, you know, she, there's a, this, a bunch of dialogue and stuff like that. And I felt like just the, the, the delivery, everything was fine, but it, it, it this to me, and maybe I'm nitpicking, but it, it's like, it didn't feel natural. It just felt like it, it didn't feel like it was not that this is realistic or whatever, but it just, it kind of took me out when they're talking about like, Oh, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. So it's just little, little things like that. Um, just kind of bother me. So it, it's anyway. So as we start getting towards the exorcism, I'm trying to remember. What I, I maybe I'm talking about this more than I thought I would. And again, I'm not trying to spoil the whole thing, but whatever. With this movie, I'm not too concerned about that. Uh, it comes down to okay, we need we need an exorcism. We need to get the, the church's permission. You know, to blah blah blah, priest and everything. Guess what happens? They're like, um, yeah, we're we're not going to do an exorcism. And we see this a lot. This is the same thing. This is what's happened at Pope's exorcism, whatever. Because a, a lot of times, you know, they're like, yeah, we're, we can't do that because of the risk involved. And, but it's just like, what, what the heck is the point? It, you know, we, we have, the, you know, you have the abilities, the training to do an exorcism, but you don't want to do it because you're scared of something. It's like, what are you scared of? Are you okay with the, the possibilities? Like there may be some demon here. And you're just going to leave it be and terrorize this, these little girls and who knows what else. So what I do like about this, you know, and, and again, we've seen that like many times. I, f- I feel like there's a lot of times where the church is like, yeah, we, 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 we can't take an official stance on this. So you're on your own. But what I like about this is it, it kind of takes like a different approach. So it's, it's not just your straight, you know, the power of Christ compels you, the power of Christ compels It's not just that. Even though you have the nurse who's, you know, she's involved with that too, you know, because she has to step up because the, the, the local priest dude, he's like, I can't do anything. He's like, Here, here's a cross, here's a crucifix, here's my, my fancy Bible. I can't do anything. And they're like, dude, what, what are you doing? So she has to step up and take it. But there's also other, there's this other woman too. And so I, I kind of like that, that it wasn't just your traditional, you know, Catholic or whatever, you know, church, you know, doing this. So it kind of mixed things up a little bit. And, and I, I thought that was, was kind of, kind of cool in a way. Um, but going back to, you know, talking about the beginning of the movie, 
you know, you have this whole first act, you know, where we see Victor and his daughter and then the whole missing child. And, you know, maybe as a parent, you know, you, you kind of feel that it's like, oh, crap, you know, what you, you can feel that the tension and everything. So I really like the buildup with, you know, the whole thing. And then just the fact that, like, when they do find them and then it's like they're gone for three days, it's like, what happened? And, you know, where did they go? You know, the, the, the idea is like, oh, maybe they went to hell and they brought this demon back or, you know, what's going on? And, so I, I like that whole buildup. Once you get to the actual like possession part and the exorcism part, then it kind of gets a little bit, eh, you know, it's it's okay because it's a lot of the same thing, you know, the 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 demons cursing people and spitting at people and and scars and whatever marks appearing and so for me it was okay barely it was it was fine I you know I'm I guess in a way I'm glad I saw it because I would have been curious. So I, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. And I will say, even though I, I don't think people are going to agree with me, I think I actually found this more interesting than The Nun 2. Because I know a lot of people seem to, or not a lot, but I, I saw people saying how The Nun 2 is better than the first. But I actually like the first better than the second. Maybe I'm just remembering it incorrectly. So the exorcist believer... And who's the believer? Is it because the church wasn't there, so the other people had to believe that they could do it or try to do it or whatever? I don't know. But I was okay with this. Now, could we get a sequel? Should we have a sequel? I mean, they, they had plans for it. Um, I don't know. So it was, like I said, it was, it was okay. It was fine. Is it worth seeing? It's just, the, the you know, it depends on your tolerance and, and your your being open-minded or whatever you know it's it's not a great movie but like i said it's not a horrible movie so i think there are some some okay parts to it and some parts were a little little hokey but it it wasn't the worst thing ever and so i i I don't think like if if i were to rate it i would say i see i hate doing this and i always put myself on the spot for going i mean i would maybe go like almost like a two or two point five out of five so i don't know i mean like i said it it had some some moments but could there be more i don't know we'll see so that's gonna be it uh, I, I think i've said way too much and I've, I've spoiled a lot of the movie but again the the ending there are other there are other things that i was like wait what are you doing which i won't get into that part because i don't want to spoil the whole thing but See it if if you're if you care at all about the first Exorcist movie, and you know you, you might be okay with it. Just just keep an open mind. You know it's not great, and I, I think having that lower expectations often helps. So that's going to be it. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to Patreon.com/slash Gman from Heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Talking about X-Men The Hidden Years, John Byrne. I love John Byrne. The 80s and 90s comics is from 2000. So some, some cool moments here. And a lot of this, I barely remember these comics. So that that's it's fun for me. Um, but I, again, I am open to like suggestions if there's anything you wanted to hear about. Uh, but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or 16 or, or, or one. Um, anything that helps. ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. 
So anything will help. Um, what's going to happen next week? So I don't know about Gen V. Like I said, I'm, I'm really on the fence with, with that. I, it's, it's just a matter. It's not that I do. I do want to watch it. It's just it's a matter of time. So, you know, I as I record this, I, I was hoping at this point to have watched the Continental at least because that's what an hour and a half, I'm a, I, I think. And then, you know, trying to watch some uh, Gen V. So I think if I do talk about it, it's, it's going to be a, a briefer. It's not going to be a full on recap. So because if you really, really care, I'm assuming you've watched it. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe you're waiting to hear what happens. We'll see. And then, you know, there's going to be more Loki, a more Chucky. Um, so, yeah, because uh, with Ahsoka ending, Fiona or Fiona Cake ending, um, we have one week of Continental. Because I need, I need to try to catch up. And then House of Usher is coming in. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that because that's friggin' Netflix drop everything at once, which drives me nuts. Um, what's going to be the movie next week? <laughs> there's only one thing that's just coming out. Taylor Swift, the heiress tour. So I'm going to see that, of course. I am excited about that. I, I love Taylor Swift. I think she's an amazing person. I think she's an amazing performer. I'm really curious how this movie experience will be, you know, having been to the concert, which, again, this is, it's, it is a performance. And, and you know, because like my, my, my brother-in-law, he's like, which concert was better, Taylor Swift or Blink-182? And I'm like, oh, it, you can't really answer that because, you know, I love Blink-182, I mean, it, it's it's like ridiculous how much I love them, and it's again, there's just so much more to my my feeling for Blink One Eighty Two than just the music and performance. It's more like a personal thing or whatever, just you know everything. But they're, they're like two different. It's like you can't really compare them, and it's just it's just such a such a you know three and a half hour performance and costume changes and staging. And, you know, it's just it's a whole production. So it'll be cool to see, you know, how that's captured on, on the screen. And I'm, I'm glad they did because, you know, I always think that's cool when you go to concerts. Like, you know, it's like, oh, I wish they would film this or somehow, you know, so I can see it again and, and all that. My only fear is, like, are people going to be singing, screaming, dancing? I don't want that. I want to be able to sit in my, my chair and enjoy the movie. I, you know, because that's the problem. Sometimes when you're at a concert, you're hearing other people scream. It's like, I'm paying to hear this performer, this professional sing, I'm not paying to hear you. No offense, you're way off key, and you're just screaming. You're not even trying to sing. So, I just wonder how it's going to be. Um, I'm actually going to a Sunday show, which is weird for me because I usually go to movies on Thursdays. So that means to record my thoughts on it, it's going to be like a total last minute thing. Because even when I went to the Taylor Swift, or, you know, I guess we talked about that Saturday night in the in the car. So. It's going to be a little tricky next week, but that's fine. Um, but yeah, so that's going to be this week. That's next week. Um, it, it, and you should see it. And I, I think it's cool that they're distributing the movies themselves. And uh, you know, Taylor is, so I'm, I'm really curious. I'm really excited for that. And if you're like, Taylor Swift sucks, dude, no, she doesn't. And it's, it's okay if you don't like her music. Uh, you know, and even her her lyrics, you know, they're 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 pretty. They're, there's layers to it, so you don't have to like her music. You don't have to. You know, not everything is for everyone. You can't say she sucks. You just it's just not your cup of tea, and that's fine. You know, a lot of the music that my students listen to, you know, they some of them, a lot of them do listen to Taylor Swift, but they listen to this other stuff. That's not what I care for. But I wouldn't tell them. I was like, oh, they suck. I wouldn't say that because it's just it's not my 
my thing. Um, so yeah, whatever. So just everyone has their own opinions. So with that, I'm glad your opinion is that you were choosing to listen to the show. I hope you're still listening. I've just been rambling on. I hope you're doing well. I hope you take care of yourself. Hope you take care of others. You know, try to do something cool. And you know, as, as I've been telling my students a lot lately, you know, try to be a good person. Try to be a good human being. So just remember, be good to each other. 